music has such an ominous sound to it, we associate it with, with death and uh, organized crime. Uh, Tim, thank you for joining us for this uh, yes, yes. special 4th of July weekend. Uh, uh, wasn't sure if we'd be able to get a show off this week, but thank you for, uh, for being here. Mark is in New York. And uh, I am taking off in uh, just a matter of days for... Uh, Have you been talking about this trip yet for the people? Do they know what you're doing? Yes, they do. We talked about it on the last show. Uh, I think even the last two shows. I can't remember when I, when I broke the news. But yes, uh, so um, yeah, uh, everybody knows. So I'm, I'm heading over to the Azraq refugee camp in Jordan. Uh, a 21-hour commute. Whew. It's 21 hours. It is. Uh, it's. It's about 16 hours LA to Dubai, and then a three-hour layover in Dubai, and then uh, three hours to um, uh, to uh, Amman, and then it's like from Amman to, and then it's 50 miles from Amman to Azraq. So mm. that's, an, that's probably another, at least another hour. I, I I I think the last time I checked, and it was, it was a while ago, maybe two or three weeks ago, but I think on average the temperature in Dubai yes. was floating somewhere around 120 degrees. Yeah, it's it, that's Dubai. Yeah. I'm not going Which, out. You, you, you're not going I'm with, not no. going outdoors. <laughs> I am not sitting foot outside in Dubai. Dubai is one of those cities where you don't actually have to set foot in the air if you don't want to. Yeah. A little like Hong Kong. Yeah. It's, it's all connected with in and, and you can yeah, yeah, you can you can literally traverse all of Hong Kong without ever going outside. You can just stay away from the humidity and the rain. You could just get into one of those Japanese malls that's underground. Mm. In fact, the the the, all the government buildings, uh, it's the, the, the Hong Kong equivalent to the Supreme Court. I couldn't believe it. I, this was, you know, years ago when I was in Hong Kong, but you, you're walking around in an underground mall, huge underground mall. They're all Japanese-owned and built. And you look over there, and it's the entrance to the Supreme Court hmm. in the mall. Like, what? <laughs> Serious? And then you go, well, why not? <laughs> and plus, I didn't have to go outside. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going outside in Dubai. I'll just enjoy the three-hour layover in the uh, in the airport and then um, take some pictures from the air. But then, uh, yeah, so it's it's going to be great. It's a good bunch of people. Uh, Shay Mitchell from uh, Pretty Little Liars mm -hmm. is also part of the group, as is the uh, cinematographer for uh, Lone Survivor and um, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. He's part of our team too, so uh, it's a it's a really good bunch of people. I, I feel a little bit out of class. It's like, wow, okay, well, well, I mean, you, the the goal, of course, is to the goal is to the is it's a handpicked group of kids uh, from the Azraq refugee camp. These people have been there for years, and if you if anyone goes online and you look at it, it it's it's the it's the saddest and most depressing thing. The city of Azraq, which is again, it's fifty miles due east of uh, of Amman is a city of about 15,000 people. Uh, the refugee camp directly adjacent to it has 55,000 people. Yeah. So it's a little bit like that Italian island that was, yeah. in that, in the, that was Oscar nominated for that, that documentary where you know, it's this island of like 3,000 people and then there's a quarter million refugees that go through. It's, it's, it sort of overloads the local economy. What's, what's uh, noteworthy about the Osraq refugee camp is that it is the first one that is completely self-sustaining in terms of electrical power. It's completely solar powered, hmm. which you can do when it's in the middle of the desert, desert where yeah. the sun beats down on it all day long and, there, and there's just nothing else around. So, I mean, there's plenty of solar power there. There. So they do have amenities, but at the same time, it's just a giant tent city. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's like being in an internment camp uh, of your own volition. 
Uh, and uh, that's, you know, that's a horrible thing. So, I mean, again, as I think most everybody knows, my, my mother was a refugee. And uh, so I feel, I feel very, I feel like I owe these people something you yeah, know, on, you, it's, on her it's, behalf. It's, a, it's an interesting thing, the way when we think about, uh, you know, immigrants and refugees uh, and people fleeing from one place to another, yeah. we, we, tend to, we tend to think of those people uh, in terms of one sort of socioeconomic class and some, not, of one or one or two not. races, but it's not. No, no, no. It's not. It, it, it has always and forever been a worldwide it is. It has. It has. Every Jew in Israel was a refugee. Every yep. single one. And um, you know, my mother grew up um, quite privileged. On you know, her my grandfather was a, a gentleman farmer, principal landowner, nice house with servants, and the whole thing. Eastern Front collapsed, and you wave bye bye to your entire life, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, never again to regain that. And uh, you know, it's it's quite a dramatic story. My mother's story. Uh, you know, crossing a bridge with bombs being dropped all around you, not knowing if the bridge is going to collapse under you. It's pretty. It's some pretty intense stuff. So I have a. I have a. I feel like on her behalf, I sort of owe it to you know, kick a little bit back and and uh, and pass something down. Yeah. So uh, pay it forward, as they as they say. As they so. Say. In any case, uh, it's going to be a great experience, and uh, the idea is that, you know, there are kids there, they haven't been to, to school of any significant, I'm sure there's education in the camp, but they haven't really been to school outside of the camp, they haven't had a normal life for many years, so, um, you know, uh, every one of those kids has a story, Yeah. and I'm not sure that they know they have a story. So as I see it, our job is to go there and to inspire them and let them know they are storytellers. Yeah, and give them, got the skills, to give them the skills to tell their own story. Let them know that the tools are out there, and they've never been more affordable. And uh, the UN is buying these kids, and CARE, which is the, uh, the uh, charity that's uh, partly sponsoring it, is buying these kids, you know, iPads, which hopefully don't get stolen, you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it'll, it'll, you know, at, at the very least, it, uh, if you can inspire the artistic soul of those kids... And if any fraction of them are genuinely artists, mm. uh, you, you know, look, I'm, it, it, some of the greatest films uh, coming out of France and Italy in the wake of World War II yeah. were films inspired by precisely that, that impulse. Uh, and, uh, you know, the whole neorealistic movement. Oh, well, you know me and my De Sica, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the Open City and Umberto yeah. D. I mean, that Abs is yeah. what that is. That is. So it's, uh, it's going uh, uh, <laughs> to be a brutal commute getting there. It's going to be a brutal flight back, but it's, uh, it's going to be all good. It's going to be all good. Bringing my camera, bringing my computer. Bringing all my gear and uh, uh, sunscreen and a hat. <laughs> yeah, all of the other stuff is important, but without sunscreen and a hat, yeah, <laughs> that's just, true. none of that will matter. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good thing. So, any case, uh, don't know when we're gonna have another show. I uh, I get back on the uh, on the fourteenth, which is a Friday. So uh, odds are we'll probably be able, uh, I'm going to be doing catch-up most of the week of the 17th, so we'll probably have a podcast back, uh, I want to say sometime around the, uh, the 21st, 22nd, something like that. that. That'll be probably be the next show. So stay tuned, watch the Facebook page. I'll, uh, I'll try to put some ups updates on the Facebook page of things that happen over there, but... Uh, Otherwise, I'm just going to try to learn a lot from the guy who shot uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. That's what I want to do. I want to see him in action because he, he is a terrific cinematographer. A gifted man. You know, uh, we, got, we got still got an anime backlog here. So before I head off overseas, I'm going to do right uh, by the anime. And I'm going to try to walk you through some of this. I have not watched all of this. I want to point that out. There is literally about 100 hours of anime in what I'm about to go through. 
Um, I, I, am, I have not had but a fraction of time to uh, uh, skim some of this. So um, mostly what I look for is, the, uh, is something in the artwork, something that's a little bit more accessible, something a little bit outside the ordinary. And a few of them are there, and a lot of them aren't. But here, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to give you the, the, the best overview that I can. Uh, season 1, Part 2 of The Seven Deadly Sins, which is Funimation. Uh, Funimation does all the really, you know, a lot of the really, really high-end stuff. Uh, they're kind of the top company right now for uh, anime. And this is also a Netflix show. Netflix's logo is on this. Um, it, is, it is available on Netflix, and um, that I find to be very interesting, that Netflix is investing in anime. Mm. That's, you know, well, Netflix Netflix is investing. You know they're investing. They're they're, they're investing in everything that that uh, that they're going to need to replace everything that belongs to somebody else that's on Netflix. Because eventually, just about everything that belongs to some other you know entity that's on Netflix is yep. going to go away. Yeah. So they need they need to replace it one for one. When animation or when when all the libraries start pulling back their animation so they can put it on their own services, Netflix is they're going to need. Indeed, there it, it is. is. So, Seven Deadly Sins, uh, primarily a kind of a, a fantasy slash superhero narrative. Uh, it's a the animation is way too UGO for me. Mm. Uh, not my <laughs> it, it it just is. It's got that it's got that feel. It's a little bit like it, it just you know if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's a little too UGO. Uh, it, it, as most of them have, it's a little bit of a con convoluted universe. The comedy doesn't really work for me. It's it's, you know, it, it, I'm sure if I were living in Tokyo, I'd find all kinds of in-jokes, and uh, it doesn't really work. But it's, you know, it's okay. Uh, we have season two of Dark Matter live action, which is really, really interesting. Um, this is a Funimation release. This is uh, one of the, every once in a while, you get these live action releases from Funimation. And um, this is not a, uh, you know, Lost Girl is the show that they, that, that sort of opened this up for them. This is not Japanese material. This is not a Japanese cast. This is, you know, not um, this is not a uh, a Japanese language thing. This is an English language show, and uh, Lost Girl is kind of the 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 trend for this. It's a really mixed ethnicity cast, very global, cool kind of. Um, uh, what was the Joss Whedon show that the the space? Thing? Oh, so, uh, was this Firefly or Firefly? Serenity? I think Firefly. the movie was Serenity. The movie was Serenity. Yeah. So very Firefly-ish. Yeah. It's got a Firefly vibe to it. So if you want to say it feels like the Fast and Furious cast mixed with Firefly, that's what this is. Uh, it's Dark Matter. It's season two. I, uh, I think this is an okay show. I think it's all right. Uh, moving along, we've also got the Cancoli. Uh, uh, Cancoli. K-A-N-C-O-L-L-E. I'm sure I'm totally mutilating that. Uh, the Fleet Girls Collection Complete Series. This apparently, uh, near as I could find out, this is a Blu-ray DVD combo set. Near as I could uh, determine, this has a, quite a following. It is a game thing originally. This was like a this was originally a video game uh, phenomenon, and they uh, turned it into an anime series. And it's still very much mired in that schoolgirl thing. Um, it is. Uh, it feels a little bit. Um, it feels a little bit like a mixture between, uh, I shouldn't say Wonder Woman, because that's just the first thing that's coming <laughs> to my mind. It's not really Wonder Woman. It's more like, it's more like a mix between you know, Space Cruiser Yamato and something to do with Atlantis. Nah. It's, 
It's a, it's a little bit peculiar, but um, well done. Uh, the, the animation's good. The schoolgirl fetish stuff is a little peculiar, how that just feeds into everything. But uh, otherwise, um, I think there's you know something interesting here. The whole nautical uh, aspect to it, the whole nautical environment's kind of cool. I love seeing, you know, I always love anime ships. So uh, this is something I'm inclined to give a little bit more uh, attention to. Assassination Classroom, season two, part two. Weirdest anime show ever. Uh, it's just it's just bizarre, you know, aliens and teaching class and schools. It's just it's the humor is weird. The the whole premise is bizarre. The, the whole idea of this like alien spider. It's just I can't even. There's no way to even describe this. It's just utterly weird. It's like somebody took a massive amount of drugs and came up with a <laughs> with a premise. And uh, you know, there it is. Um, so I, but I will say this. With all due deference to Assassination Classroom, uh, it's a lot less weird after having seen episode eight of Twin Peaks. Oh, tell me about it. Dude. We had a conversation about this. We did. We did. And I I keep coming back to it. I I, I stop strangers on the street. (laughs) I'm walking down the street and I just, I suddenly have a flashback. I break out into a cold sweat. I grab this little old lady and I just go... Explain it to me. <laughs> but but you and I had a conversation last week, yeah. though, where you clarified for me <laughs> what I felt like I was experiencing. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to understand than I think if you, people if, realize. If you, but if you've been steeped in that Lynchian world for the last yeah. twenty-five years, well, thirty years, really, really, but 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 more than thirty years. Actually. Yeah. If you go back to your racerhood, that's oh like, yeah, that's like seventy something. Seventy, seventy-seven, 40, 77, 40 78, years. forty years. Yeah. Um. So uh, then, and you're watching this new Twin Peaks. And and you you have all these references. It's a a real different thing if you're not sitting there cold. David's mind, David's mind is a radiator that has not been flushed out in 40 years. (laughs) And this this new season of Twin Peaks is that little bucket that the mechanic just put right there under the radiator as as he's flushing it out. And all that gunk comes out and fills that thing. forty years worth of crap from your radiator, yeah. and and that mechanic, like the rest of us, looks at that and goes, "Damn, <laughs> man, that's what happens if you don't clean." So out yeah, clean it out more often. Um, yeah, so David's subconscious is just all over the place. But yeah, uh, episode. I mean, I loved it. I did. Oh, love uh, it, no, but, I'm digging. I'm digging it all too. But, but that little confirmation that you gave me that I am not making associations that are not there. Because no. everybody keeps telling me, no, you're making associations that aren't there. No, you're, no, no, you're, no, you're no, giving them too much credit. I'm like, there. no, I know, I, I, I'm pretty sure, because I saw Lost Highway. Yeah. <laughs> in, in and Mulholland we saw Mulholland Drive. Drive. And, 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 I'm, yeah. and I'm thinking that there's a big connective oh, yeah. tissue here. All of it. Thought. All of it. Yep, absolutely all of it. I mean, it all even goes back. Every single bad guy in uh, Twin Peaks, all of the villains in Twi- Twin Peaks, are all really spiritual descendants of Dennis Hopper of Dennis and Blue Hopper, Velvet. Uh, Blue Velvet, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's even there's even some some Dune referencing in there a little bit too. I was like, that's very Dune like. <laughs> so uh, moving on, Dragon Ball Z Kai, the legendary Z reborn. Uh, look, if you like Dragon Ball Z, you're gonna love it. If you don't, you won't. I mean, all the Dragon Ball Z stuff is really very much the same. It uh, it doesn't take any risks. This is uh, part three. And uh, it is, you know, it's perfectly fine. Uh, the final chapters, it's not going to be the final chapters. It's Dragon Ball Z. Give me a break. They're going to, it's like, it's, it's like Power Rangers. They're going to keep pushing Dragon Ball Z until Dragon Ball Z, you know, 2150. Power Rangers, Transformers, they, they will going. not be ending. 
All right. Uh, this is a bit of a trip. It's a Blu-ray DVD combo pack, as most of these are. Pandora in the Crimson Shell. Ghost Urn. Uh, you know, again, somebody just took way too many drugs to, to conceive of this thing. So the, this is a kind of a spiritual kin to Ghost in the Shell. And it's, uh, it centers on two girls who are cuter cyborgs. We're moving into a more attractive, I guess they're better versions or whatever. And uh, they are on a mission. And uh, you throw in, you know, other cybernetic technology and all kinds of really cool weaponry and, and just a lot of cool animation. And it's fine. Um, I, I don't think this will ever be a live action thing like Ghost in the Shell. Mm. But it's, uh, if you like Ghost in the Shell, it's got the same groove. It's kind of in the, in the same general uh, vicinity. I uh, just don't like UGO. The Dark Side of Dimensions Blu-ray uh, set here. This is from Anchor Bay, uh, as seen on Stars. I don't, uh, I, you know, it's got a few interesting special features here. Uh, favorite moments with the cast and a couple of Q&As, but I, I don't really, you know. UGO, if it's your thing, knock yourself out. Um, let's see here. We also have a Pokemon this week. Uh, and I'm going to finish this up really quickly if there are people at home thinking, oh, when is he going to finish? Yeah, I got just a few more. Got to go through some Sente stuff and then we're done. Uh, Pokemon Complete Collection, Pokemon Advanced. Let me say, this is the complete season, uh, 40 episodes of Pokemon Advanced, the complete collection. And it's Pokemon. There's just nothing different here. This is uh, distributed by Warner Brothers, uh, who is handling the Viz library. Viz is the uh, the formal rights holder. And uh, it's, you know, it's fine. It doesn't really uh, take any great risks. Uh, I, I had forgotten how kind of annoying Pokemon could be on occasion, but uh, it was all right. It was all right. Uh, let's see. Here's what we got left from Sente School Live Complete Collection. This is more schoolgirl fetishism, uh, but pretty decent animation. Uh, otherwise, not a whole lot to really recommend it. It's kind of the it's same old, same old. Amazing animation. And this thing called Norn 9, complete collection from Sente, 12 episodes on two discs. Really, really beautiful animation, beautiful artwork, um, really interesting character conceptualization. It's sort of anime, but it, and it takes some detours at a certain point. Uh, the, uh, it, it's a little like La Femme Nikita-ish in some respects, with a, you know, except in a real big, heavy sci-fi space environment. Uh, but I could see Luc Besson wanting to remake that. Uh, Chivalry of a Failed Knight complete collection. I, I always this is this, this is kind of cool stuff. I've seen a little bit of this over the years. Uh, the this is uh, a fantasy world where people can uh, I shouldn't say I want to say it's a little Green Lantern-y. People can like ma they can manufacture weapons just by thinking of them. Hmm. There are certain like you're, like you're a race and that's your gift is to manufacture weapons just uh, with the power of your of your mind. So there's that. So that's very, very cool. Got some interesting special features. Uh, you know, some of the uh, uh, clean animation sections from the opening and the ending. Japanese promos. It's not bad. Um, Sound of the Sky is okay. Uh, this is a, it's a little bit, uh, a little bit tepid, I, I want to say. This is, it, you know, if you're looking for animation, it's all cyberpunky and sci-fi-ish and so forth. And this isn't for you, but uh, this is a little bit more down-to-earth uh, kind of drama, um, and it, it, it feels still inspired by a lot of Japan's post-World War II cultural anxieties, 
Um, but as far as you know, more straightforward anime drama, it's uh, it's it's not bad. Um, let's see, we got Galaxy Angel. I did not watch any of this, but I do want to make mention of it because it's you know, big eyes and colored yeah. hair and lot, it's the schoolgirl fetish again, and uh, it it just it looks absolutely unhinged. Um, RWBY is we've talked about in the past. Absolutely love these girls. They're fantastic. Uh, this is the um, RWBY, RWBY Volume 4. Uh, it's also a gun special edition. And these, you know, uh, I'm, I guess I'm still on a Wonder Woman kick, and uh, this, is, this, this just feeds it. You know, these are, this is a great team of anime heroines, and they're awesome. And uh, I, they're, you know, fighting a mystical battle, and I can't, I can't get enough. Big wind-up. It's you know it's silly and it's baseball and it uh, it's just it's not good. Uh, but uh, some people love this thing. This is from Nozomi. This is blue uh, DVD, not Blu-ray. Uh, I just I can't get behind a, an anime baseball show. It's very very strange. <laughs> also on also on DVD, not Blu-ray, is uh, the complete collection of Mez. Uh, Danger Service Agency. The this is from ADV Films. ADV used to release their own stuff. They uh, are now primarily primarily rights holders, and they release through uh, through other companies. Um, but uh, you know, Mez M E Z Z Danger Service Agency. It's uh, it's a uh, you know a lot. Of, it's amazing how much of this stuff is female centric now, which is really yeah. going to play well in the in the Wonder Woman era. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's a woman who's an ex-cop, and uh, she's uh, she's now you know kind of a kind of a badass private eye secret agent type figure, and uh, it's cool. The you shape know? of a lot of these things in anime, obviously in live action, uh, is being fixed now. You know, with respect to you know to, to women and girls. Yeah. I think the other day. I even heard this, this is changing very, very Barbarella esque, and Barbarella yeah. almost feels like you could you could do that now in the Wonder Woman era, right? Oh, in, in a certain sort of way, yeah. you know. I mean, it's, it's um, they, I think I heard that they're changing a, one of the rides uh, at Disneyland. It's that it's the Pirates ride where there's, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah the, the redhead the redhead yeah. they're taking yeah the the the, the wenches for auction uh, yeah yeah and, yeah and yeah. they're flipping that around and they're yeah. gonna make one of the girls a, a yeah. pirate now and all yeah. that kind of stuff and and look I look I've, I've been looking at that thing for forty five years <laughs> it never it never occurred to me no but you know what go ahead and change it. I'm okay. Oh, they've changed that ride so many yeah. times yeah. it's yeah. that's it's, okay yeah you, we can fix that we 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 I, and I get it if I got a little girl. I don't want my little baby girl riding by. Daddy, what's going on there? Well, they're you know, auctioning off that winch. I'll tell you. It's <laughs> you know really, what? Let's skip that conversation. It's really interesting. Uh, as soon as, after I, you know, because I covered Wonder Woman on Film Week, and uh, I, when I was, when we were just having the Wonder Woman conversation just in the house, uh, I was mentioning something about Wonder Woman, and my daughter's ears just completely prick up. Wonder Woman? Like the name, just the name, and you know it's something we automatically associate with. There, there's the association, but just those words, "Wonder Woman," that meant something yeah. to her. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah, and those two words together again, it's it, and it meant something to me different to me and you forty years. Yeah, ago, sure did. Uh, than it means to her now, even though it's the same phrase. Well, that brings us to. <laughs> That brings us to the last three, which are all female-centric as well. And uh, this one is is maybe... Uh, what a transition here, Tim. This is the complete collection, 13 episodes on two discs of... Is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, See, that's the name. That's, that's actually the name. You know what? You know, sometimes you get poked anime, in the eye. Anime titles. 
Uh, so this is incredibly fun and incredibly politically incorrect all at the same time. So uh, knock yourselves out. Uh, truly, it is. Uh, there's just I can't even I can't even describe this. It's female heroines, but they're dressed scantily, and you know there are monsters in the dungeon, and I. It's just you know, it's 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 unusual, uh, but nicely drawn. The uh, schoolgirl fetish takes on a much more palatable uh, direction in Girls Beyond the Wasteland, which uh, is really um, much better animated than most of these things. Uh, the uh, it's it's kind of meta, but uh, in terms of you know female heroines, I think this one is maybe better written than most of them, at least from the little bit that I was able to watch. And then lastly, uh, Girls Panzer der Film. Uh, this is the uh, the girls panzer. This is a Blu-ray DVD combo set. Uh, the uh, you know the whole girls panzer thing um, is done as a feature film here, and it's got a few extras. And uh, but otherwise, it's you know it's still very much in that uh, in that vein, which is uh, it's you know it's wartime and it's uh, female centric, and I I just I can't quite uh, you know girls and tanks. <laughs> There you go. Why I, I, not? I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Girls and tanks. All right. So uh, there we go. So uh, if any of that sounds like it's going to ring your bell, go for it. Have a good time. Tim, uh, will we jump into TV? Uh, I guess we are. Okay. <laughs> because I just happened to pick up this DVD. Uh, the, the Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. You know, I really do love these collections. Yeah. For one reason, um, I've been watching um, uh, what locally would be the Decades channels, Channel 2.2. It's oh, a yeah, subsidiary yeah. Of, uh, of CBS, yeah. you know, on those, on those digital channels that you have, yeah. right? So um, on, on, on those channels, and I assume that they're all over the nation, uh, they run uh, these. Uh, the Cabot Show, the Johnny Carson Show, all yep. of these, old, they, they run them. And i got to tell you, they're absolutely captivating. Yeah. Um, real cultural archives this particular one so this is the, the the tonight show starring johnny carson johnny and friends this particular one is shaped around comedian appearances on the show i love uh, the i love the curation oh right? it's that's it's the curation that makes it really really sort yeah. of interesting it's not it's not haphazard they used to put these things out rather haphazardly you know just grab them together and yeah. stick them on a thing but now no you watch them and you go through and they make sense this one has uh steve martin uh robin williams and eddie murphy Ooh. If you had told me that Eddie Murphy, it's, I'm, I'm reading the box now, um, three appearances over, the, over a span of seven months in 1982, mm. Eddie Murphy on yeah. The Tonight Show. Yeah. Uh, that, first of all, have to remember, 1982, a little bit of cable television around, not a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Johnny was pulling 30 million viewers a night, sometimes 35. Amazing. Sometimes he would pull a 40 share. Nobody could do that today. That's insane. No one could uh, do that today. Eddie Murphy was a big enough star that they tapped him to come on that show three times in seven months. Over the, and if you think about what was happening yeah. to Eddie, a little Saturday Night Live, yeah. I think maybe the first... Uh, well, 48 Hours was the first feature film that really, really put him on him the on, on the top. Yeah. Uh, and then you got Robin's, Robin Williams here, you know, the late Robin, 1984, 1991, uh, and twice in 1991. And you have Steve Martin's 1976 ex wow. uh, uh, episode of... First of all, I actually remember actually watching that appearance in 1976, actually, actually watching it with my mother... Yeah. And my brother. So it's a time capsule in that way. This is what's best about all of that. As funny now as they were up to 40 years ago. You, you watch that stuff. Those guys are sharp as yeah. tacks. Johnny 
is as Johnny is as easy and free flowing with Eddie as he is with Robin, yeah. as he is with Stephen. These are three very, very different sort of comedians yeah. with different sets of references. They're doing, you know, Robin was way yeah. back. I mean, he always was, but way back yeah. then. Steve Martin could get very erudite. He oh, could. Very. He could get very erudite, and oh, Johnny could. would be right there with him. Oh you know? yeah. You know, Steve, Steve Martin can be even the stuff that he's written on his own is very New Yorker. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and then of course you had Eddie there, and Eddie would get very urbane. He was very urbane, but he yeah. was very smart. Johnny again, right there with him. Yeah. Uh, dude, we underestimate just what a super talented uh, genius that guy was. You know, it's interesting too because we forget also that up until that moment. There were TV actors, and there were movie, movie actors. actors yeah. And if you were someone like Barbara Stanwyck, who had had a movie career, or like Buddy Epson, who had had a movie career, and you were getting a little long in the tooth, a little old, and still needed to pay your mortgage, well, then we'll put you on a TV show. Yeah. But nobody from a TV show becomes a movie star. No, That's no. just, you know, you pick your world. It was a big deal when Tom Selleck... Yeah. Became a Particularly movie after star. having, well, yeah. I guess not being chosen. I was going to say yeah. turning down that yeah. role, role in Indiana Jones. Yeah. But it was a big deal that he made it over into the movie star world. It sure, it sure was. And the fact that Robin Williams and Eddie Murphy were able to become movie stars was a big deal. I mean, yeah. Eddie was the first one who really, you know, Bill Murray, we could, you know, from Saturday Night Live, we could, we could sort of say he was the first to sort of do that. But Bill Murray did not become a standalone superstar. No, yeah. Eddie Murphy was the one. And then Robin Williams yeah. followed. And, yeah. you know, when suddenly the, that, that ki the kid from, you know, Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood and Mork yeah. become movie stars. And, uh, you know, in Robin Williams' so, case... Sustaining why, box sust office movie stars yeah, that for, for was, real. No kidding around. Completely changed the scene. Changed the scene. Changed yeah. everything. So, amazing. Uh, you know, ABC did an original uh, movie remake of Dirty Dancing, which was completely pointless. I just honestly don't understand why this even existed in, at all. Uh, truly just a strange choice. But in any case, uh, don't need to see it. It's Deborah Messing's in it and, you know, Abigail Breslin and whatever. If you've seen Dirty Dancing, just stick with the original. There's no reason for this remake. But did you, are, are you friends on Facebook with uh, Christy, Christy yeah. Lemire? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did you see her story about this? No, I did not. Oh, you may want to go and check this out. So uh, I, I hope Christy doesn't mind that I divulge this. Christy had a weird kind of identity theft thing happening. Interesting. She got a letter returned to her that she did not write. Someone sent a weird rambling letter. Apparently there's a character in here, you know, who carries around a copy of the Fountainhead. and oh, yeah. right. Yeah. So somebody sent a long rambling letter to the uh, Ayn Rand uh, Society and uh, arguing that, that, that this, the whole, that whole aspect of this ABC Dirty Dancing movie completely misrepresents the Fountainhead and all this stuff, mm -hmm. signed it with Christie's name and Christie's return uh, address. Ooh, now that's where it gets scary. But sent it to the wrong place, like sent it somewhere in Texas to the Ayn Rand, uh, to the Ayn Rand Institute, which is actually out here in Orange County. Yeah. And it wound up being returned to sender, which is Christie. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. And she wouldn't have known this. She would have known this had they addressed it correctly. It would have, they would have thought that Christie sent them a, a letter, and they would have said, why is yeah. this film critic doing this? Attacking us. And it makes you wonder how many letters actually made it to their destination in Christie's name. Is, it, you know, yeah. are there, is she being... Well, someone's obviously pretending, because you know I had that situation for years. Oh, with, yeah, with, with screenings. With, with, with Sam... Fe yeah, well, yeah you know, Sam's I, I, brother. Yeah, Sam's brother. Yeah. And, 
Anyway, I don't want to get into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And getting away with it, particularly weird, since I'm a smallish black man and he was a smallish white man. Yeah. You know, both Jews, but for God's sakes, people. (laughs) And for 25 years, plenty of people would sit there and he would stand right in front of – these are people who knew me. Who know you. And he would stand right in front of them and and say, I'm Tim Cogshell. And they'd look right at him and give him my ticket and let him walk into that door. And I would walk up and they'd be like, oh, Tim, oh, oh. (laughs) <laughs> I'd be like, seriously? I, I just do not know how that happened. Anyway, that was madness. I'm sorry. Merlin. I remember enjoying this Merlin. I, have, I, didn't, I, I didn't see this particular, but I enjoyed this Merlin with Sam Neill, Helen the Bottom called John Gilgood, Rucker High. I mean, just James Earl Jones, just the whole Miranda Richardson, Isabella yep. Rosalina, Martin Short, just this whole, you know, I mean, really, uh, a fantastic cast uh, for Merlin. I remember this as a television thing. It's about 1998 or so. Uh, this was on, and it was really, really good. I remember just being totally captivated about, uh, by it. Uh, so I'm going to recommend it just on having seen it 20, Sam Neil. 20 years ago. Uh, Sam Neill, exactly. You're particularly, you know, uh, youngish uh, Sam Just Neill. can't go wrong with Sam Neill. So Merlin, um, on the DVD, not a whole lot. I w- uh, it would have been neat if they would have put some interviews or something like that on yeah. not, not much on it. Uh, Power Rangers... I just I know there's a wiki page where they tell you all the Power Rangers shows and what Japanese shows and or what and I just I can't I I can't immerse myself in this world anymore. So the Power Rangers movie apparently did well enough that we're probably going to get more of them. Uh, we did not get a copy of that to review. Uh, demand was ridiculously high, it mm. seems. So we didn't make the cut. But you know we do have Power Rangers Dino Supercharge, the complete season. Most of these Power Rangers shows now do not come with the complete show. They come with the complete season because they only run for a season. Yeah. And this is another one. And now we've got to reinvent the, uh, the costumes and do a whole different thing. Uh, the Dino Charge deal, I, I still can't quite wrap myself around. I can only imagine that it is somewhat Transformers-inspired, this uh, whole kind of cyber dinosaur thing. Uh, that's all I can imagine that that's got some connection there. But in any case, uh, it's you know pretty much the whole thing. This time they're uh, they're protecting the Energems, and they have to uh, battle Heckle, who's the bad guy in this. I don't you know. Uh, you know I I, I got the Vampire Diaries over here. Final season uh, eighth and final season of the of the Vampire Diaries. I gotta yes. tell you, I never did watch this show. Yeah. I mean I, that's not true. Actually, I did watch the show. Uh, I watched it two or three times, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it, it, this show sort of like takes takes the main beat down of the sort of, of, of those sort of, uh, of the, the pretty the pretty vampire the CW deal. It's just right there. It's yeah. just in your face with it. Yeah, and to a certain extent, they embrace it. It's the prototypical CW show. Yeah, and, 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 is, and there yeah. it is. A couple of vampire brothers and all the sort of machinations of that. But I suppose if you've been watching, anyway, this is the final episode, the final season. Uh, uh, that leads you up to the final episode. It, it does contain a few special features, including Last Days as a Vampire and the 2016 Comic-Con uh, panel uh, for uh, you know, a whole bunch of the cast members. So fun for fans, right? Yep. So the, uh, the Borgias, everybody knows, uh, the story of the Borgias was the inspiration for The Godfather. And yes, there's a reason why we played the, uh, the Godfather theme at the top of the show. Yes. We will be getting to that uh, we're in, in momentarily. I uh, wanted to hit the Borgias uh, uh, first. The complete series of the Borgias, uh, the inspiration for The Godfather, uh, the original crime family. Uh, you know, it, this is an okay series. It should have been better. It's a, This is a Showtime series. It's a little bit too trashy for my taste, uh, which I know sounds weird because the Borgias were horrible. Yeah. Um, and this is Neil Jordan, and you're right about the trashy. 
And it would, but that's what surprises me about the trash is because it's Neil Jordan. Yeah. You know, I, and I would have thought he, it's kind of soap opera. It's, and that's the thing. I would have preferred something a li- that he would a little bit closer to history because history is, is, is bad enough. The actual history of the Borgias is, yeah. you know, I mean, some of the most corrupt popes and, and, and uh, you know, magistrates. I mean, they ran Italy at the time. They were, it was an amazing family uh, and in a really bad way. Uh, great cast, by the way. Jeremy Irons plays Rodrigo Borgia uh, and does it quite beautifully. He chews the scenery like nobody's business. But uh, I, I would have preferred, preferred something a little bit more literate and, uh, and solid. But anyway, the, uh, you do get some uh, interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff here. And, uh, and unfortunately, they include some bloopers, which I wish they hadn't have done. But otherwise, uh, bloop, The Borgia is the complete series from Showtime and CBS on DVD for those who really enjoyed it. Uh, the Wild Wild West revisited, and more Wild Wild yeah. West. Uh, first of all, uh, I love the show, I, but I love these the two original Wild Wild West. But you know, when they when they started to get a little long in the tooth, they came to the comeback movies, which I was excited for at the time. I admit, the I was the first one. I was the first one. I was yeah. When they did more Wild Wild West, that was uh, that was not so good. Anyway, now we're this definitely is, long in the tooth. This is yeah. This is the again from uh, Paramount and CBS. Uh, they they you know they, they, everybody's always looking for the comeback. The yeah. you know Gilligan's Island. We want to get them off the island. And then and then that became Harlem Globetrotters on <laughs> Gilligan's Island. And I remember thinking, wait a minute. We we got them off the island. Isn't that the end of it? Yeah. Now we now the island has to be turned into some kind of a commercial basketball retreat. What? Where did that come from? Stuck there again. Like, that's like, yes, no. Yeah, what? Their agent knows where they are. No, no, that's not right. That's not right. Don't do that. And uh, yeah, so the Wild Wild West revisited was okay. Um, it was fine. But then they did more Wild Wild West completely needlessly because they just they, they don't know where to go and it just it went all bad. Um, the the one thing that they they will not tell you here is you know Paul because by the time they this came around the actor who played Miguelito Loveless had passed. Yeah. So you know part of what made this show so appealing was it was like Batman the recurring villains. Yeah. Count Manzeppi and. And uh, so what Miguel do you do? Loveless was the, was the, was the small person. Yes, yeah. an amazing actor. Who was also on Star Trek, by the way, in the episode Plato, oh, yeah. Plato's Stepchildren. He's the one they push around with their minds. Uh, but uh, he had passed on, and so they thought, well, let's have Miguelito Loveless Jr. And let's have him played by everyone's man of the hour in the late 70s and early 80s. None other than actor-songwriter and frequent guest on every show that would have guests he's from a talk shows. He's a Paul song. Williams. Yeah, he's a wonderful songwriter. He's a wonderful songwriter. Yeah. <laughs> but he should but still stay. He, he, look, from, from Love Boat uh, Fantasy to Island. Fantasy, Paul he must have been on like a dozen episodes apiece of Wonderful those. documentary about him that he is in three, yeah. four years ago. Yeah. Remember the one I'm talking about? It was about? good. It was, it was really, really good. good film. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, you finished with that one? No, f- carry on. Do uh, that. I wanted to, uh, prison Break. This is interesting. A buddy of mine was in this series yeah. uh, when it was on before. This is the Prison Break event movie. So if you were a fan of Prison Break, you know yep. that they killed Wentworth Miller's yep. character, the brother, yep. played by him at the end of the you know the the original run. Yep. So you know they decide they want to do it again. What they do is they they Jr. and they they, they Bobby they Bobby you and them. <laughs> they, they pulled Bobby you oh, and no. anyway. Yeah, apparently he was you know we we saw him dead buried. No, he's alive in Yemen. Of course, his brother has to go find him oh, in Yemen. Boy. Why did they pick Yemen? <laughs> that was just, it was just, and, and in any case, though, for fans of the series, and it was a bit of a fun series. I kind of like Dominic Purcell and yeah. Worth Miller sort of running around the series. There was it was pretty neat for a while. 
Uh, this is not shot anywhere near Yemen. I'm pretty sure they're out in Bacoima someplace. <laughs> Bacoima for Yemen. <laughs> so, so, but that's fun. Other than uh, that, Prison Break, special feature, a return home, the making of Prison Break, the event series. I, I will say, uh, Dominic Purcell and Wentworth Miller, uh, I, I was never a huge fan of Prison Break. I know a lot of people who were, but I absolutely love the two of them yeah. on The Flash. Oh, yeah, yeah. As, as, that as, is the, the great. And of, course, and, of course, you know, also uh, Wentworth, Mil of, Wentworth Miller on Legends yeah. of Tomorrow, yeah. But when they showed up together on uh, on The Flash, that was uh, that was just a lot of fun. A bit of inspired cast. That was a lot of fun. We've also got, uh, this is a big deal, complete series of Homicide, Life on the Street. Uh, you know, this show just will not go away, and this is such an influential show, and it never got its its real it, its sea legs. Mm. The thing that was so frustrating about Homicide, this is one of those shows, and there are there are a few of these that sort of get caught, uh, never really finding their network slot. You know, Homicide was it was on one night, and then it was on another night, and then it like went off, and then they tried to reconfigure the show because it wasn't finding an audience, and it went off the air for a year, and then it came back, and it was on another night, and it had it has this very kind of staggered history where, you know, it it, it wasn't like okay for twelve years Bonanza ran on yeah. NBC, and it was every Sunday night at eight, and yeah. you knew where to find it. Nobody could ever find Homicide. Yeah. And they just couldn't. They didn't. It, it, it was on. It was off. It was here. It was there. And uh, well, now you can find it. You can find it in this big old beautiful uh, boxed set, which includes you know all se seven seasons and a bonus disc. And uh, it's still a great show. Andre Brower was so young in this show. It kills me. Yeah. Uh, but what a you know uh, what a great show. Belzer. Uh, Belzer before he was on uh, yeah. on on uh, Law and Order. Uh, yeah. I mean Yafit Koto. Yeah. The man. I just, yeah. uh, you know, cross 110th uh, Street. Baby. I just, Bobby Womack sounds these crazy. guys, these guys are just, they're, they're tough. They're, they're gritty. It's, it's Baltimore, which is one of the less represented cities in America. Uh, that show was cast, uh, and, by, and by that I mean, you know, not just the diversity of the actors, but the sort of faces, the actual yeah. human beings, and yep. the way that shows of the Naked City. Remember Naked City? Yep. The 50s, yep. and, oh, yeah. uh, all of that sort of New York casting, that yeah. sort of Elia, I call it Elia Kazan casting. Yeah, that's it. That is you a beautiful, yes, it's Elia Kazan for faces. Yeah, faces, you know, faces. And, 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 and dialects and accents, and isn't that it, kind of thing. Isn't yeah. it funny? I think when all is said and done, uh, and it, I could be wrong, you know, Rain Man is, a, is an Oscar winner, but I have a feeling that Barry Levinson may wind up going down known more for this show than anything he did in the, the film. The diner, the Tin Men. Or, or any, any of that. Any of that. Yeah. 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 So anyway, uh, Barry Levinson and uh, all of the other uh, creators and, and uh, showrunners on the show, they're all interviewed. There are commentaries here. Uh, there's a feature-length commentary for Anatomy of a Homicide. Uh, there's even a panel discussion with everybody. I mean, it, and a lot of really intense discussion about... Uh, what made this such a great show. And, you know, this show won three Peabody Awards back when television shows won Peabody Awards. Yeah. Shows don't win Peabody Awards anymore for some strange reason. We never hear about that. That used to be a thing. Yeah. You know, like Lou Grant won Peabody's yeah. and China Beach won a Peabody, and that was a big deal. And uh, that's kind of a, a long-lost thing now, and uh, nobody really kind of understands what that means uh, anymore. But that because was a, the Peabody, obviously there have always been, you know, Emmys. Yeah. Uh, but the Peabody was this more prestigious thing, more akin it was like, to... It was like a Pulitzer for television. Yeah, yeah like a Pulitzer, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was it was a big deal. It sort of, it, it meant you just made something that was serious and relevant 
to the world. Yeah. It's not just, you know, good drama. Uh, it's it, it, good it's drama beyond that. Or even sort of a... It has social uh, relevance. Star power, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, the Strain was a series that I watched a little bit because you know, my buddy was on that too. This is the um, complete third season of The Strain. The, the thing that I found interesting about it, it's just a vampire series. That's all it really is. It's well, all, it's, they complicate it. And it's also known, Mark and I talked about this on the show before, it's also famous for being the, the show that had a, a promotional billboard that was so shocking and horrifying that it came down after two days. Which one it was, was it? The, it, was, it was that one that was on, it was on La Cienega or Fairfax, just off of the 10, mm -hmm. it, one, of the, one of those major thoroughfares. And it was, you know, the worm in the eye. Oh, yeah. It was that thing. And, and it was right there where literally 150, 200,000 people pass it every day and, and just saw that thing. And it was horrifying. And it was so horrifying and shocking. People complained and they took the billboard down. <laughs> that's, but, that's funny. Uh, this one has, what, what's most uh, uh, what's most interesting about this series is that it's Guillermo del Toro. Yep. As a creep, which I don't think most people paid any attention to. No. Maybe if you watched it, you might have paid attention yeah. to it. But if you watched the series, you could tell it's Guillermo del Toro. It has sure. a very sort of particular sensibility. Anyway, this is the um, uh, third season, third complete season. Uh, extras include 45 minutes of all kinds of not yet not previously seen stuff in the television series. Fantastic. Check it out. All right. Uh, let me hit a little, a few foreign. Th oh, we got uh, Banicula. One more for for television. Banicula, Night of the Vegetable. Twenty episodes of uh, vampire. As long as we're talking about vampires, of the the vampire bunny Banicula, which is part of the whole new Warner Brothers uh, animated world. It's very unusual. He, he's you know. It's well, the, they, they, he they, doesn't that, crave that, blood. That, that sort of those sort of like baby or child. It, it, you know. It's it's like Animaniacs and and, yeah. and Tiny Toons. It's it's the next generation of all that nonsense. It's I I don't really like it, but a lot of kids do. And you know he's a he's a like a vampire bunny, but he doesn't crave blood. He craves vegetable juice, and it's you know it all takes place in New Orleans, and there's a little girl and a dog, and it I I you know I, it's I don't know it it. It has a following. It's not not as cute as I think people pretend that it is, but it's two discs and uh, you know a whole. If you wonder where Chris Kattan went, he, yeah, he, that's right. Whole twenty episode season uh, on this thing. It's it's okay. My not it's not gonna be shown to any children in my house. So I'll put it that way. Uh, let me hit some foreign stuff here. And uh, actually, let's 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 finish paying off the Godfather thing at the beginning first, Tim. Okay. Let's 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 talk about the book. Because um, we we do occasionally review books here. And yeah. there is a book that has been out for a few weeks now. It's a big, lovely, hardcover. Uh, uh, I suppose you call it a coffee table book. Uh, it is a coffee table book. It is, uh, it's a hardcover coffee table book. The now, Godfather the, Notebook is what it's called. Godfather Notebook. Uh, it does not come with a jacket. It's not that kind of, uh, kind of a coffee table book. But uh, this is Godfather Notebook by Francis Coppola. It uh, has been on the New York Times bestseller list for a little while now. And we were finally able to get a copy of it to talk about and to go through. And uh, this is pretty amazing. This is the, this is, you know, and again, I've, I've mentioned this before. I was, uh, I was supposed to write, boo-hoo, here I am name dropping and, and whining <laughs> again. Uh, I was supposed to write the book on the, uh, the, the Godfather restoration. Yeah, which was which, a big deal. Which was a big deal. I sat in on some of those restoration sessions with Robert Harris and Alan Davyao talking by phone with uh, uh, Gordon Willis and, uh, you know, the amazing uh, restoration artists who sit there and they just meticulously look at every frame and digitally tweak with it. It's an amazing thing to watch. It's such tedious work. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, Paramount was, it's just too convoluted of a place to actually 
push anything through the bureaucracy. So it just didn't happen. In any case, I still have a great affection for the, the films, obviously, and for the process of how the movie got made. We all know the stories, or hopefully you know the stories about how Robert Evans really, really threw his weight around a studio chief to make it happen, to get behind Coppola, to you know push back against some of the ideas that were coming down the pike. I mean, it's an amazing story how things this movie happened. Things to do happened. with Brando's casting. Oh, things my to gosh. Do with well, Everything. first of all, I mean, you know, things to do with making the movie in the first place. You know, yeah. that sort of pulp novel, Puzo's novel. It's was, not a good novel. It's not. No, it's pulp. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, you know, but, you know, that's the thing, you know. He made, a, he made a silk purse out of a sow's ear yeah. in every conceivable way that that analogy works. Uh, so, yes. So, this is uh, Coppola taking you through that process, taking you through the making of it, but with photographs and with actual photocopied annotation of the screenplay and the book. And it's, you know, most of this is basically, you know, it's like when, we, when you have classes in college, very often your textbooks, uh, it's, it's a bit of a scam. Everybody knows this. You'll, you'll pay like 40, 50 bucks or maybe probably like 100 now for a textbook, which is basically just a binder that contains a bunch of stuff that your professor photocopied, mm. like articles and, you know, clippets of other books. And nobody's getting any royalty payments out of the copyright violations in those things. Colleges do this with impunity. This is basically that, except... It's legit. Yeah. And it's the actual stuff. It's the you're actual looking at stuff. Handwriting. You're, yeah, you're looking at markings in the margins and on the pages. And and so you're, you know, he's not walking you through it. This is like a scrapbook. And you find the most amazing stuff in here, like notations where he underlines something and like this will make a good scene. And it is a great scene, mm. you know, but it's a throwaway thing. It's and you and you you get inside Coppola's mind and his process, and you 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 find out how things in the book that are sort of, that Puzo puts a spotlight on and really, really amps up, Coppola just ignores completely. And then there'll be a little detail, something that's really, you know, kind of a throwaway thing, but Coppola sees a cinematic opportunity in it. And it's this microscope lens going in and out and in and out. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the emergence of a filmmaker's vision. It's really an incredible book. It's just, it's just so much fun to go through. I, I could just sit here and just read any given page just at random. It's, it's just really amazing. The, the, the thing about The Godfather, uh, well, the first, the first two films anyway, yeah. um, that, that I've always felt, all right, so The Godfather films, everybody understands that these are sort of iconic films. And people, there are plenty of people. I mean, their course is taught. Just on, oh, yeah. Just a, oh, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that book is, is for that kind of an yeah, audience of, sure. of The Godfather films. Yep. So you, you really can't be a completist about The Godfather films if you don't have the book. But I think for me, Godfather films... Uh, have always been among uh, the movies that I actually appreciate yeah. more than I actually like. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, 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 I get it. I sit there, I watch these films for Gordon Willis, you know, The Prince of Darkness, yeah. and, and, and what's going on there visually. I get, I get all of that. Uh, the sort of Italian, the sort of, uh, sort of uh, 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 you know, quasi-pulpy yeah. Italian yeah. story, I can still see that Puzo. Yeah. I can see it. More so in the first film than the second. And in I the think. second, yeah. yeah. The second, well, the second film isn't yeah. really Puzo at all. The second film is pure Coppola, yeah. and it's it's a uh, it's better. I think it's a better yeah. movie as a result. It's it's, it's 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 actually a far and away better movie. Well, you know, uh, my one of my professors pointed out very early when I had a comedy class with the great Howard Suber, who has done many commentary. He was like the original commentary for Criterion for like a dozen movies. Uh, Suber was the guy who, in our comedy class in film school, said, "Godfather One is a comedy." Godfather 2 is a tragedy. <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, what? 
And he said, no, pure Greek definition. It, it's all about where it takes you. Comedy doesn't mean ha-ha. Comedy yeah. means it usually ends on a wedding or a celebration or whatever. That's what comedy truly means. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's In the broadest sense. In the broadest sense. sense yeah. Tragedy ends with death and destruction and so forth. And then you go, Godfather 1 is a comedy. Godfather 2 is a tragedy. And you get it. And you realize that that's why those two films work so beautifully together. Yeah. It's uh, it, you know, it takes you the full gamut of the the Greek range, so yeah, it's and tremendous. Then, and, and then there's the third one. So let me let me hit a few foreign things, and then uh, I'll let Tim jump into some of the new stuff. So uh, a few interesting foreign films here. Uh, on Padre Notan Padre means from uh, the English language title here was from dad to worse, which isn't what that means, but it's uh, on Padre Notan Padre is uh, is a really pretty a pretty great Mexican movie. Uh, it's very, very funny, from uh, Raul Martinez is the director. And the idea here is there's this old guy, this old Mexican guy. He's like 85 years old. He's this old, angry old patrician guy who's accustomed to having everything he wants in life. And he's in a rest home, and he's insufferable. And uh, his, for all kinds of unfortunate reasons, his money has run out. He can no longer stay in a rest home where he regularly beats and abuses the staff. And now he has to move in with a son. Uh, and the son reluctantly is going to take care of him. And his son is a full-on kind of like a hippie guy living in a commune with like this gay couple. And this there's this occasional this priest who occasionally comes in who's a Jesuit, which is everything he hates. And it's just this full, free, freewheeling, just commune life. And it's everything he hates. And it's kind of a fish-out-of-water thing. He hates thing, the Jesuit. That's but, oh, he hates the Jesuit. It's the worst <laughs> thing. When, when, he, when he asks him, you know, like, what order are you? And the guy goes, Jesuit. And the look on his face is just a pure <laughs> hatred and anger. Um, so there's a lot of Mexican culture in, in this thing that, you know, you probably ha- won't get if you're, if you're not steeped in it or don't know someone who comes from it. But it is a very smart comedy. And Martinez is a very, very good director. And uh, the lead performance by uh, Hector Bonilla is just to die for. And, of course, you know, it's like all... It's like any other mismatched buddy movie. Everybody kind of, you know, you have two people from opposite sides who clash. It's the, the odd couple, right? Ooh. Everyone learns something from each other, and everyone softens up a little bit. Suntan is a Greek film from Strand, uh, which I quite like a lot. Uh, I don't like where it eventually goes. I think it kind of cops out at the end a little bit. I think it paints itself into a corner and doesn't really know what to do. But uh, until then, it's a really, really, really sharp kind of psychological thriller, very sort of Hitchcockian in in the way that it gets inside this guy's uh, mindset. This is also a very NC-17 rated film. Uh, the uh, so suntan takes place on a Greek island, and it centers on this schlubby guy, this sort of introverted, schlubby, pale, pasty, balding, middle-aged guy who's socially very awkward, but he's a very good doctor, and he's been hired to be a doctor on this island, and this island is just infested with tourists in the summer months, and so the the island needs that economy. You know, everybody's got to be on their best behavior. Well, schlubby guy, like all schlubby guys in movies, is not well-adjusted. He's got all kinds of sort of sexual issues. And there are these freewheeling tourists who show up. Uh, I think they're German. And uh, they are just awesome. They are just, they're naked all the time. <laughs> they're just having sex all the time. They're, their clothes are almost never on. They don't care. They they're are just, on vacation, man. They are hedonists. <laughs> and and uh, they, you know, they just like, they will kiss anyone or anything. They're just, they're just having, a, life is their oyster. And uh, of course, Costas, the, 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 the schlubby doctor, he just develops an obsession for this one woman. 
and it, it and starts kind of hanging out with them and trying to be in with the cool crowd and and you just know this isn't going to end well yeah. you just you, you're like oh my no this is not this is not going to a good place he's n- he is not going to hit the gym and become cut and uh, become one of them this is not where this movie goes i've seen this story before it's a bad it's a bad thing uh, and there's so much tension until it gets to that place because you're asking yourself He's not going to kill her, is he? He's not going to... And you're going, you're running through your mind all of the, of the ugly things that he could possibly do when he snaps. Because yeah. he's going to snap. Yeah. He's, like I said, he's not going to become a bronze god and the movie's going to happily end. So um, the tension of getting there is really great. Uh, it's beautifully shot, very, very well directed by... Uh, oh, I'm going to mutilate the name. Well directed by Argyris Pama, Papa Dimitropoulos. Argyris Papa Dimitropoulos, who also co-wrote it. My goodness. Greek names and Thai names. They always tangle me up. Oh, so many consonants. Oh. Uh, and then Doberman Cop is, you know, a, uh, a, a Kinji Fukasaku movie. Kinji Fukasaku is the uh, Japanese director who redefined Yakuza films, Battle Royale. We've talked about a few of his. This is an Arrow release. And uh, it is, uh, it's not my favorite Fukusaku film. It's, it, it, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit jumping the shark for him. Uh, it's based on a famous manga and it's, it, it feels, eh, you know, it, it just feels like it's a little bit too much. It's a little bit overboard. It's like when, um, it's like when uh, Peck and Paw made, and I, I can't straw remember. Straw Dogs. It's straw Dogs. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's when Peck and Paw did Straw Dogs. You kind of feel like, okay, now he's just now he's just trying to compare himself against himself. But in any case, it's a beautiful Blu-ray. Also has a DVD on it. Tons and tons of extras, as uh, Arrow is increasingly doing, including an appreciation by uh, Fukusaku's biographer uh, and uh, Sonny Chiba uh, shows up in a uh, in a brand new interview as well. And we love Sonny Chiba. It's not his best film either, but. Uh, and then uh, two more with the uh, in the foreign end, the bird with the crystal plumage. Uh, also, not one of my favorite films because I'm not a Dario Argento fan. This is also an Arrow release, DVD and Blu-ray. Um, but a lot of people, if you love your Dario Argento, the bird with the crystal plumage is likely to be one of your what top I, what, three. What I like about Dario Ar- Argento is yeah. that he gave me Asia Argento. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other than that, thanks. That, that's Dario. a lot of people do do agree with that. Uh, this is mercifully short. It's just a little over 90 minutes, but uh, lots of extras here as well. It's a 4K restoration. There is a, an audio commentary by, the, by uh, Troy Howarth, who is an expert on giallo films and uh, kind of tries to give you a context here that makes the film uh, at least aspire to be a little bit better. Um, but otherwise, you know, it's, it is really a, a wealth of extras of a criterion level. Uh, but, you know, as far as Dario Argento movies go, it is one of his most stylish films, but it is... Uh, you know, I just, I don't particularly like it. Uh, the one thing I do like about it is Morricone's score, which is beautiful. And I often listen to it independent of the movie, and that's how I like it. And then lastly, we're going to talk about Monster Hunt. You know, um, they, they're being really shameless about this. From the animator of Shrek and Madagascar. <laughs> no, no. Don't expect Shrek or, Shrek or Madagascar. So one of the co-directors of Shrek and Madagascar went to China... Uh, on a for hire gig and oversaw this very weird animated live action hybrid, which is a it's a it's a it's a period it's a period Jap uh, sorry a period Chinese film kind of a wuxia martial arts film set in a fantasy reality where there are all these weird forest creatures and and monsters quote unquote 
and uh, you know, there's a there's like a, the whole thing is that there's this monster that's there's a monster heir to the throne of the monsters that they have to protect, and it becomes kind of this pseudo ET thing, you know, hide the hide the monster. It's it. Bottom line, this movie is the dumbest thing you've ever seen. The the monsters are ridiculous. It's ter it's terrible animation. The plot makes no sense. Uh, the martial arts and the action stuff is just not good. The slapstick is embarrassing. It is the it is the everything that's bad about Chinese popular comedy is packed into this horrible, stupid movie. And uh, it's on DVD only. And here's the thing: there was recently a story. The news actually oh, broke yeah. back oh, in 2015. Yeah. But there was recently a story talking about why uh, there's so much corruption in, Chi in the Chinese box office reporting and how Hollywood studios are finally getting the chance to audit these companies and crack down on them and see exactly where the money is and isn't. And one of the big revelations was that Monster Hunt, get this, the only reason that Monster Hunt beat you know, Fast and the Furious 7 or whatever it was up against a couple of years ago, the only reason Monster Hunt opened bigger than the Fast and the Furious film in China is because the producers of Monster Hunt gave away 40 million free tickets. How do you give away 40 million? Two questions. How do you give away 40 million free tickets? First of all, you have to be in China where there's a population <laughs> of, of, of over a billion I, people. I guess, but, I, but that's, you got to yeah. be there. Number I guess one. you just airdrop that over one city and yeah. you're, you're, yeah. Uh, but, but secondly, how, how do you think you're going to keep that secret? Yeah. Really, yeah. I mean, truly, yeah. forty million people. We swear you all do it. No, I'm sorry. That's just that's gonna come out. That was dumb. So anyway, the uh, Monster Hunt is not just a bad movie. It is the poster child for uh, Hollywood for movie corruption it, in it, China. It, it, and, and it says something about about something else too. It says something about about Hollywood's yeah. obsession with that market yep. in, in China, and the way Hollywood movies are constantly being shaped for that market in mm -hmm. China. When some obvious giant chunk of that market in China is fake. Yep. Uh, uh, or at least manipulated in some ways. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, French film, uh, French language film, On the Way to School, which is about four different kids, all in different parts of the world, Morocco and Kenya and India, and uh, they're, all, they're all in different parts of the school, but they all uh, share a common dream. And uh, this, in, in a kind of uh, Babel-type way, the movie Babel, uh, in other words, um, bonds them together and t brings them together on this sort of this quest for education, this quest to be be bound by uh, by knowledge and education, and uh, it, this is a really really um, this is a really beautiful film. Uh, this is from Icarus uh, Home Video and uh, Distrib Films, who distributed it theatrically. It is uh, it is also mercifully short, seventy seven minutes, and uh, you will uh, this will deeply deeply touch you. Uh, on the way to school by Pascal Plisson. Really a beautiful, it, it'll make you appreciate education in a whole new way that we, that we don't when we live in first world countries. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, new movies. Uh, a couple of new things here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, The Zookeeper's Wife. All right. So Jessica Chastain and Daniel Bruhl in The Zookeeper's Wife, which, of course, is based on a true story that has some subtle similarities, I suppose, to Schindler's List and th these people. Uh, World War II set story. Yeah. Um, 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 you know, spend their time saving both the animals at the zoo and other, you know, humans. Yep. Um, and and uh, again, based on a true story. I have to tell you, so I saw this movie. I might have saw it for the for the for the radio show. Yeah. Uh, and it just did not move me. And I know that it was intended to be a 
deeply sort of moving in that way, in that sort of Schindler's List, uh, yeah. oh, the child in the, uh, the, in the striped pajamas, that the, sort right, of a thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a lot of those, you know, in the wake of Schindler's List, a lot of those have been... Uh, have become very uh, cloying. Yes, right? exactly the right word here. Yeah. In any case, uh, bonus features deleted scenes, the making of the Duke Keeper's wife, uh, and, uh, and a little biography of the family, which is central to the story. So it's a, you know, it's a powerful and penetrating, sort of loosely based on a true story kind of thing, and I appreciate that, but it's just it just did not captivate me the way I know that it was intended to. Uh, and I'm going to pop over to this one real quick just because it's directed by Terry Jones, uh, you know, Monty Python's Terry Jones. So it's absolutely anything. Uh, uh, a DVD and digital HD. Simon Pegg, Kate Beckinsale, uh, and Robin Williams, our late Robin Williams, that's the voice of Dennis the Dog, in a film about these aliens that imbue Simon Pegg with the ability to do yeah. absolutely anything. Yeah. Uh, you'd think that would be funnier than it actually is. It, it sounds really funny, it, but it, it's okay. Yeah. But you think it would just be an absolutely hysterical film? I think I, I think Simon Pegg is stretching himself a little too thin, thinly these days. To be honest, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, anyway, so that's that one. And then uh, we uh, already talked a little bit about Jeremy Irons in the uh, the Borgias. We also have Jeremy Irons in a new movie with the lovely actress Olga Kuril Kurilenko. It's called Correspondence. She was in Hitman. She, she was a pretty in girl Hitman. in Hitman, yeah. It's called Correspondence. I am deeply disappointed that this is only out on DVD and that this did not really have uh, a theatrical release because it is directed by Giuseppe Tornatore, who is uh, most famous for Cinema Paradiso mm. and who has never really gotten back to the level of Cinema Paradiso. He's made a few really interesting films since. Mm. Um, the, a couple of them got theatrical distribution here, but it, it's still, it's like he peaked with that movie and has never been able to get back to that, that pinnacle here. Um, but this is a really interesting movie. It is a, it's, a, it's a small movie. It's a very quaint movie, but it's one of the best bits of acting that Jeremy Irons has done in a long time. And you realize how much he chews the scenery in the Borgias when you watch him here, and where he plays you know, uh, a, a physics, an astrophysics professor who you know is finding himself in in late life, and you would think, wow, you're a professor of astrophysics, but uh, you know he he um, that's not what the, that's not his life's passion. She is his life's passion, and it's, they are separated. It's a it's a it's there's a lot going on here uh, emotionally and psychologically, and uh, and and it deals with the, di with the you know how love changes when you introduce the distance and how love persists over distance but how it's also damaged by distance and uh, what technology you know modern technology texts and all the rest of that can do it's 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 really um uh it, it's really poetic and it's it's very uh impressionistic in many respects and i i'm so happy that tornatory is still making movies and i wish that there you know people could discover this film uh theatrically uh, for you know the way that they used to be able to discover f his films theatrically, but it is not meant to be. Well, there used to be a distribution apparatus here in the United States that yep. that that you know sort of presented. Not that there isn't, but you know yeah. it's all and, and things no, slip through the cracks. So, um, the 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 Belco experiment. <laughs> it, oh, it, it, it was a brutal. Oh. Another battle royale. Yeah. Uh, X number of Americans in this office building down in Bogota. Uh, and a voice, a sort of disembodied voice, instruct. Anyway, at the end of the day, they have to. It's it's, it's a kill or be killed sort of situation. It's it's it's, it's ten little Indians, and then there were none. Yeah. It's all of that stuff, you yeah. know. Uh, it attempts it, to be funny, uh, but you know what? Sometimes 
those things. Yeah, the, it's it, it's it's a DOS experiment is what yeah. you know. It, it's like let's lock lock a bunch of people up in a in a and and play with their minds and say okay, you know, only those who do this will get out alive. So murder your friends. It's one of those movies, <laughs> but the premise is ridiculous. And by the time it gets to the end, you just you're just rolling your eyes and just saying, I'm sorry, this is just insane. Now the the thing is, I get where this was supposed to go. It's written by James Gunn. I yeah. love James Gunn. James Gunn, of course, directs the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, but this is clearly something that he wrote kind of for low budget consumption, not yeah. when he was in Guardians of the Galaxy mode. Yeah, you probably probably some time ago. Anyway, a few yeah. special features, Blu-ray special features, uh, behind the scene featurette. Uh, some uh, deleted scenes, a uh, business like that. So yeah. stuff to say, but you got to be into that kind of thing. Yeah, I am a, not yeah, particularly into that kind of thing. Got one called Money. This this is actually better uh, than I thought. It's a thriller. Um, uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Bamber, uh, Kellen Lutz, uh, who they've been trying to make into a movie star for uh, just I don't know, maybe years now, for a while now. You know, Jess Wexler. This is his best film, which is uh, ironic, considering it's his least known film. Anyway. It's about these guys, a couple of rich kids, a couple of rich guys, uh, 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 who've pulled off the scam, and are going to get away with it, make about $5 million in the, yeah. until this uh, outside uh, person comes into the situation and sort of, uh, dis mm. dis sort of takes it all apart. Uh, it's kind of neat, actually, the way it all works uh, in this movie, and I, and I rather enjoyed it. Um, the only thing on the DVD as a special feature is a behind-the-scenes. But good performances... Um, and you know, it's, it's the kind of thing you could probably, probably, definitely want to watch on DVD. Pop yeah. it in. That's that's where you want to enjoy that movie for sure. And then uh, three more new movies uh, before we uh, get into some classic stuff, and then uh, we might be able to uh, tap a couple of documentaries before we uh, run out of time. Doing a little extra long show today because we're gonna be off for a few weeks. Uh, London Heist. I always love the taglines on these, Tim. The the taglines kill me. Read the tagline. It's not revenge, it's justice. Oh, that makes me tingle. <laughs> it just makes me tingle. Who comes up with this stuff? Because <laughs> it seems like... Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, it's not revenge if you're, you know, motivated by justice. Uh, whatever. So, um, Craig Fairbrass. There's a name that for, for an action star, right? Craig Fairbrass. <laughs> a, His like name Rock is not... Hudson. Yeah, uh, he, was probably, he was probably born, you know, uh, Craig Schnitzel dude. <laughs> so, Craig Fairbrass... James Cosmo and Nick Moran, all tough guys. Uh, so the idea here is that you, you a bunch of guys robbed uh, this um, this uh, uh, place in London where it's kind of like where money is held. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a when you when you, you know, for like payroll and stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and uh, the, in the process, there's some double cross and somebody gets killed and. You know, then it turns out that there's all this conspiratorial crap going on. Anyway, uh, it's not a very good script. doesn't really make any sense, but it's got a lot of action, and it's got that, you know, tough, hard-boiled British thing going on. So it'll appeal to somebody. Uh, this is hilarious. Feed the Light is a Blu-ray from Intervision. Now, this is, this is where the, the, I, I always thoroughly enjoy this. This was made a few years ago in 2014, but this is its debut on Blu-ray. Uh, it is very weird and... Um, uh, you know, we talked about Twin Peaks. It has a certain uh, David Lynchian quality to it, in you know the, uh, the the whole style and the look of the whole thing. Uh, Henrik Muller is the director who has you know that certain uh, German expressionist instinct uh, extended into him. Uh, it is uh, it, it you know the idea is that there's a there's a, a girl who is um, there's a couple who split up, and the father 
abducts the daughter and uh, mom goes looking for the daughter and where she goes is the, the destination of her journey in kind of uh, George C. Scott uh, hardcore type fashion yeah. is where this movie gets really, really trippy and weird. And um, I don't want to give it away. It goes to a very, very dark and surreal place. The, what, I, uh, what I love about this is Feed the Light says, based on a story by H.P. Lovecraft. I know people who, I have not read the story. I know people who have read the Lovecraft story, and they, and they say this is, uh, this is based on a story by Lovecraft uh, in much the same way that, uh, that like, any movie is, I mean, uh, th there's almost no analogy. It's mm. like, yeah, in the sense that the story by Lovecraft has people and this movie has people. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how much it's based on it. So uh, I don't know. I can't speak to that. But the Lovecraft fans I know find this to be find that to be really, really insulting. They they think they just see no no Lovecraft in this. Anyway, a lot of Lynch in this, but uh, less Lovecraft. So that said, there it is. And then lastly, uh, real quickly, a cute little comedy called uh, Amar Akbar and Tony oh, yeah. by a director named Atul Malhotra. Uh, it, this is a uh, you know one of those low budget films. It has a lot of decent actors in it, but nobody you've ever heard of. And uh, it's it it's almost like one of those bar jokes. So a Sikh, a Muslim, and a Catholic uh, walk into a bar. <laughs> no, it really is. Uh, that's exactly what it's about. It's about a Sikh, a Muslim, and a Catholic. And uh, you know it it, it it's uh, it, it's uh, allegedly based loosely on an old Bollywood film, which I have not seen, so I can't speak to that. But uh, it's all set in London, and uh, it, has a, it has a certain brisk sensibility to it that is really, really charming. So even though there are no stars in this thing that you would necessarily recognize, uh, I think you'll probably have a lot of fun with it. It's definitely worth rental at the very, very least. For, for some reason, we mentioned uh, Peck and Paul's Straw Dogs. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I, was, I was having a brain uh, oh, freeze. Okay, yeah. That, that's why I was having a brain freeze. Yeah, anyway, Criterion Because I was going to make the connection. Oh, okay. And in that moment, I was like, what? The, and my brain just skipped a beat. Just so. because it pops the Criterion yeah. Uh, yeah. release. This uh, week. Uh, uh, Peck and Paul, uh, Dustin Hoffman. This movie remade, it seems to me, by our really? friend Rod Lurie. <laughs> Was so, it Rod? No, I thought I thought it was. I thought it was Neil Labute. Didn't yeah, Neil? Did, 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 uh, was it Neil? No, or Rod? Rod. Definitely Rod. Well, did Rod do De it? Definitely okay. Rod Lurie. It, it, that popped into my head that I did the junket for that movie, and I knew. I, okay. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, Peck and Paw, uh, and, and the classic film, Peck yeah. and Paw film, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Susan George. But it's Peck and Paw going to excess. Yes. Right. It's. Uh, and commentated at the time. Yeah. There was a, the commentary on the film was the yeah. excess of the violence. Yeah. Peck and Paw, which is kind of strange anyway, given that it was Peck and Paw, and he was already known for being violent. It was. I think. I think the, the the hit on it, and it's still a little bit of a hit. I mean, it's mild by present standards, but I think the hit on it was. That compared to something like the Wild Bunch, ah. where the where the violence is organic, and story driven, here he just now has a reputation as a guy who shocks us with violence. So he's just going to shock us with violence even more. And it, he was sort of trying to push buttons for, like Haneke has gone the opposite direction. Haneke started as a guy who just was known for shocking people with excess, and then he realized, oh, I don't have to do that. I can tell a story. Mm -hmm. And now he tells us stories, and he's not sort of being this. And nice. the shocking bits are hardly ever anything sort of visual. No. It's sort of like the idea in the yeah. story is shocking yeah. more than yeah. anything. Thing else, uh, lots of it's a, it's a critique, so all kinds of uh, special features on this. So you know, but it's peck and ball. Yeah, blue. All right, uh, we're gonna dip into some uh, classic stuff now. Uh, let's see what we should uh, get into. Uh, I'm gonna start with a Flickr Alley release. 
this is a Blu-ray from Flickr Alley. It is a manufacturer on demand title from 1926, A Page of Madness. Uh, from uh, Japanese director, oh, I'm going to do my very, very best to uh, not destroy his name like I always do. Um, Tenosuke Kinugasa. Tenosuke Kinugasa, K-I-N-U-G-A-S-A. -A. Um, and the film's original title is Kuruta Ichipeji, um, which simply means a page of madness. And, uh, you know, this is one of the early avant-garde Japanese silent films. People have to remember, Japan was making feature films in studios long before Hollywood was. Mm -hmm. Japan was making silent feature films and si really daring kinds of films, or films that would qualify as features, uh, you know, in, in like 1902, 1903. And their studios, Shokiku and, and Tohei, were founded in the late 19th century. So Japan was on board very, very early. They just didn't hit the international scene uh, like the Germans, the French, and the Italians, and the Americans did, So and the Russians. Mm -hmm. You know, those were the films that really uh, got an international appeal. But Japan had a thriving independent uh, and, and studio silent film industry very early on. This puts you right back into it. And uh, this is a this is a really really uh, fascinating movie visually because it's not it almost goes alongside with um, uh, Man with the Camera the uh, Ziga Vertov film the oh. Russian film in terms of, of just being very experimental and uh, I, I find it really really an interesting thing it has a story it's not completely avant garde um, but you know when you have it's a little bit like Doctor like Caligari right the idea of a of a sailor who's working at a mental hospital is like, oh, great, now we can, it's a mental hospital, and that's always <laughs> your, that's your opening to kind of kind of go nuts. Um, uh, and then you can sort of go inside the, the mind and everything that's sort of tearing somebody apart mentally. But um, all of that stuff is great, and they did a great job, a wonderful transfer from a 16-millimeter print, and uh, it's a really, really fascinating film, beautifully, beautifully done on Blu-ray. If you are trying to build your silent film collection, by all means, definitely consider A Page of Madness. And also included on here is Henoir Rodekiewicz's, oh, no, I've mutilated that name too, <laughs> Portrait of a Young Man, which is also from the uh, Black Hawk Films collection of David Shepard, who uh, our, our dear LAFCA, LA Film Critics Organization, honored a few years ago before he passed. Um, so uh, David Shepard was able to produce these restorations before uh, he passed on, and uh, you know that that it, it's it, both of them are worthwhile. So, but uh, you know, Portrait of a Young Man is 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 good and has a lovely score on it. But the uh, the one you really want to get this for is a Page of Madness, which is just really really uh, fascinating and breathtaking. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, shall we do a few more of these? Yeah, let's uh, let's get a couple of those. Uh, because it's on top, and because this movie has a. It's the, Car wash. Uh, the the oh, I the, love car wash. You know, I still do. <laughs> 1976 film car wash. So yeah, 1976. Michael Schultz, baby. Michael Schultz, who 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 I you know I I hasten to point out because most people did not know this, and I did not know this as a young man. I did not know this in 1976 when I was 14, 15 years old watching this movie. I didn't know Michael Schultz was a black man. Oh, that because well, Schultz. Well, his name's yeah. Schultz. My, name, yeah. my last name's Cogshell. So, you know, it's, I'm an idiot on, on multiple levels there. But I was dense enough to, to not know when I was a teenager. The director of Cooley High and several films yeah. that I've been watching 
um, was this black man who was a workaday director in Hollywood, um, even 45 and 50. Yeah. If, if, if Michael Schultz still works, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I've been talking about him in the past tense, like he's dead or something. Yeah. No, he's probably oh. working someplace shooting something right now. So this this was a man who, along with Ivan Dixon and, and ironically, Bill Duke, who was in Car Wash, yeah. um, are, are among a few uh, journeyman black filmmakers who uh, have been working since the late 60s. I think yeah. Ivan Dixon made... Uh, Nothing but a man, probably in yeah. the late sixties. Yeah, um, and so that was Michael Show. So I, I, but now that notwithstanding, Spook who sat by the door was yeah. Uh, uh, Spook who sat by the door. That wasn't uh, was that seven, that's Ivan. That's Ivan. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's going to be seventy three. About seventy three. That, that was after. That was after nothing yeah. but a man. Yeah. Um, and you got Franklin Jai here. You got Bill uh, uh, Richard Pryor doing that thing that he did back in the day yeah. before anybody else did it, where he plays <laughs> three or four or five different characters. Fantastic. And here's the thing about you know, the, that the wonderful Rolls Royce songs that came out of the soundtrack. You yeah. know, it, it's fun. I, I learned to play every one of those songs yeah. on the piano in my church. Mm -hmm. Every one of those songs. This movie is amazingly funny today, but this is this is the thing about Car Wash. As funny as it was, and as much of a community touchstone that it was to the black community in the middle seventies. And, and I'm going to say something about that in a second. But oh, the, this movie is incredibly dramatic. Yeah, deeply moving. Yeah. yeah, very funny, cultural, all of that, but incredibly dramatic and deeply moving. There's a scene in this movie with Ivan Dixon and Bill Duke when Bill comes back to yeah. rob the guy. I'm, I'm giving away the movie. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. It was simply. Break your heart. It this is. movie is that good. So, 1976, um, also written by Joel Schumacher. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Joel Sch the, the fairly flamboyant gay white man yeah. writing a movie about a car wash <laughs> full of black... Who also wrote and directed the original Sparkle, let's not forget. And, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, was, and was Woody Allen's what? I'm going to say I'm gonna say set director, set designer, yeah. production designer. Anyway, his... In per, there, in per, there. He, he, he was originally a production designer. A yeah. production designer, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. You know, the Tigerland. Yeah. And, all. and so, yeah. so anyway, all of that, you sort of like worked its way back through. And, you know, Antonio Fargus, fantastic. I love Antonio Fargus. So here's my question to you. Could there have been a barber shop without car wash? Oh, absolutely not. These yeah. things are on a, on, on a wire connected yeah. uh, uh, yeah. together, which we don't, which is a very, very astute sort of connections you make, which I, I've made before, but most people don't see that connection. Yeah. There's, a, there's a through line there. And, and the thing of it is, Ice Cube would tell you that. Yeah. Ice Cube would know that. Yeah. You know? He would have been, he would have been a, uh, a very uh, young child when that movie came out. If, yeah. he was, if he was, yeah, he would have been born, but he would have been, yeah. been really, really small. So he would have saw this movie on VHS. Sure. That's where he would have saw it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and you're telling me that movie, Tim's story, you know, all those, all those guys sure. from 25 years. Sure. Of course it is. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. All uh, right. Uh, hit that next. Shall one. we do? All right. Yeah, uh, 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 trespass. This is the Walter Hill trespass from 1992. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Uh, Walter Hill, of course, we connect to uh, all sorts of extremely important films, our Alien films, and uh, Last Man Standing, and, and, and a whole bunch of stuff. So this was Walter Hill, um, uh, early early directing writers Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis. Uh, yep. For this movie, the biggest thing I remember about this movie, though, was a big deal. The, the, the late Bill Paxton, Ice Key. Uh, Ice Cube. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was just—it's just funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> the two guys named Ice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, William Sadler. This was this was a neat movie. What was funny about this movie is back in the day, uh, everyone was worried that this movie was too violent. Uh, that it, and we were just talking about Peckinpah. 
uh, a second ago. So this is 25, 20 years after the Peckinpah film. Yeah. This film comes along and people... Anyway, this is kind of a neat release from uh, Shout Select, Collector's Edition. has all kinds of really neat stuff on it, including interviews with Sattler and Bob Gale and uh, producer Neil Canton. Uh, and, and some stunt stuff and some behind the scenes stuff. And uh, so a music video, music videos were just sort of becoming a regular part uh, in the early 90s, a regular part of a film's distribution, particularly yep. if, you have, if you have a film that has Ice-T yep. and Ice Cube in it, you had yep. to sort of connect all these things together. The entire time, of course, uh, the sort of political establishment is going bananas because yep. you know Ice-T is out there doing his thing and Ice Cube is doing his thing and, and, it's, and it's bleeding over into Hollywood. All very interesting sort of... Funny thing, most funny thing, it's not a very good movie. <laughs> not <laughs> a very not. good movie at all. Yeah. Uh, but what are you going to do? Uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie, uh, there was a, a period when Cheech, Marion, and Tommy Chong uh, made all of their sort of pot-smoking movies. Of course, with the legalization of pot pretty much every place in the United States, state <laughs> by state anyway, uh, these movies seem silly now. They do. <laughs> so they really do. Well, what do you I, do? I just lost track of them at a certain point. I was, you know, when I was They a were kid, always bad. They were always bad. They were never dumb. good. They were, just, they were simply anti, sort of antisocial. They, yeah, now, they were anti-establishment anti the, the neat thing about this movie, uh, 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 Cheech, Marion... Cheech Marion was ripped, Holmes. Yeah, and he, he would was. say it like that. Always ripped, Holmes. Guns <laughs> like you would not believe. Pex Tommy Chong too, dude. Yeah, uh, those guys were ripped and looked fantastic. Well, they had the back time. The they had the time to do it. Uh, the Unholy, uh, which uh, is a you know was was an okay was, was an okay movie of, of, of the time. This Lionsgate is Gate film. This is this is one of those uh, one of the Vestron collectors series now. Everybody, ben Cross, you know, yeah. They're they're digging up they're digging up the old Vestron library and paying homage to the the VHS generation with these. So. This is for the nostalgia crowd, right? This is if you know you, yeah. you're like if you have nostalgia about oh I remember I had that on VHS and it looked really crappy. And the the, the, the neat thing that they do is it, it's it's late enough in cinema that they thought to keep everything so that they have every single thing that happened on the set of that movie they could put it on this DVD as a, as a special feature so featurettes yep. and all that kind of crap so. All right, uh, gonna roll through a few uh, few licensing deals that we got right now. Deja Vu with Jacqueline Smith is a really really interesting movie from 1985. Uh, we forget Jacqueline Smith actually did do things other than Charlie's Angels, and uh, one of them is this really interesting 1985 movie directed by Anthony Richmond and produced by none other than our favorite producers of all time, Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus mm. of Canon Films. Um, we have these are three films now that we have from the Olive Collection. All of them uh, licenses from MGM and Paramount. This is the MGM license, and uh, it's MGM and 20th, you know, MGM through 20th. But, um, you know, this was when Canon was trying to be a little bit more legit with a few things, and they were trying to not just be the house that was that did Chuck Norris movies and, yeah. nin and ninja movies. As if there was a problem with that, but go on. Yeah, and uh, so they went and they, they, they hired uh, Anthony Richmond, who was a very, very good cinematographer, did The Man Who Fell to Earth, to uh, make the transition to direct and uh, this is uh, this is the, sort of an interesting uh, look at a marriage, at relationships. Uh, it's a it's it, it's got a kind of a past life angle to it, and there's not much you can sort of say that doesn't give things away, other than it reminds me, looking at it in hindsight, a lot of Dead Again. Ah, and uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh. The Kenneth Branagh film. Uh, there, there's a lot of there's sort of a lot of Dead Again going on here. Uh, which is really, uh, which is interesting. It makes me wonder if there wasn't uh, some connection to mm. the, with the, between the two films. Anyway, so uh, great music, by the way, by uh, from Pino Donaggio. Uh, really, really interesting. Who, of course, you know, did a lot of great music for. Uh, Brian De Palma movies. And also from Olive, we have the Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis movie, Money From Home. Hilarious, hysterical, lots of fun. 
I love all the Gene and Jerry, mo Dean and Jerry movies. This is from 1953, uh, kind of fresh off of their, uh, their television series. And uh, it's just absolutely riotous. It's, a, you know, it's all the stuff, they, all the shtick they usually do. And uh, Jerry Lewis plays a veterinarian uh, apprentice, and uh, the whole thing takes place uh, around a racehorse. You know, they learn from the Marx Brothers a day at the races. Racehorse, uh, the, the environment of a racetrack is a the, great the physical, place for comedy. The physical comedy in that one is still it's fantastic. Terrific. And then uh, Nicholas Ray, who uh, is most famous for doing uh, Rebel Without a Cause and King of Kings. They live by night. He did uh, The Savage Innocence. Oh, uh, Quinn and uh, O'Toole. Yes. Good one. Good for you. That Our, is... <laughs> you, you pulled that out. There's a stack of documentaries separating you from this. You did, That's deep. That one's Tim, deep. Tim dug deep on that one. Uh, some he, Japanese shit. Yeah. Nicholas Ray actually uh, uh, adapted this himself. Um, uh, from a, uh, a novel, Top of the World, which was written by Hans Rusch, who had some role in the screenplay as well. It's a very strange writing credit, but, um, uh, you know, like w screenplay by Nicholas Ray, Rogue, adapted by Hans Rusch. So I'm not sure what the relationship was there, but in any case, Ray actually was very, very involved in this. And uh, this was made in 1960, and it is. Um, uh, it's really quite an, uh, an amazing bit of cinematography. Uh, you know, the, the frozen tundra, yeah, Anthony like Quinn. A, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a it's it's an Inuit story, but it's a survival story. But it's a psychological story. It's it's really quite interesting. And uh, Peter O'Toole is very unusually good in it. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting discovery. And I I uh, totally applaud Olive for going out and uh, and unearthing that one. A Anthony Quinn could get away with playing. Anything. Just anything. anything. You know, you Italians, Native Americans, yeah. Eskimos, Absolutely. Russians, you Absolutely. know, just, you know, guys from Brooklyn, and, yeah. you know, just all that. Quinn. Totally. And then we have an unbelievable set this uh, month from the uh, Twilight Time people, twilighttimemovies.com. Uh, this is just a great set. Five films. They've been releasing four lately. We've got five this month. Uh, Charles Bronson in the Valachi Papers. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Saw that on broad broadcast television, loosely based on a true story. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, based on the Peter Moss book, uh, screen, a really good screenplay by Stephen Geller. Uh, this is a this is a, a really, really sharp film. One, he's in it with Jim, Jill Ireland, his wife, oh, of course, yeah. at the time of many, many years. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, is a, it is a tough crime film, and it's one of his best performances because he doesn't... He doesn't have to really stretch a lot. He can stretch just enough. Mm. It's really good. The Veloci Papers is great. Uh, then we also have The Quiet American, the original version. Oh, the original, uh, yeah, because that, that, that was redone with uh, Michael, Michael Caine and, and yeah. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. So not the Michael Caine version. This is the uh, Joseph Mankiewicz version of the Graham Greene novel, which is all still very sort of prefigures Vietnam and mm. a lot of, uh, it's really quite interesting. Uh, very, very sharp from 1958. Beautiful, beautiful cinematography. Just really crisp. Audie Murphy in this as well, who actually can act when he's not playing himself, yeah, believe yeah, it or not. Yeah. And then we have the Bridge at Remagen, which is one of the better uh, World War II bridge movies. There are quite a few of them. There's a Bridge Too Far, a Bridge at Remagen, the Bridges at Toko Ri, Bridge in the River Kwai. The World War II bridge genre would be a great series, wouldn't yeah. it? Uh, there's just so many they're, of they're, them. They're, they all involve somebody trying to blow up a bridge. Yeah, yeah. But some of them involve some people trying to save a bridge yeah. from being blown up. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, bridges were important, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh, again, talking, you know, my mother's experience, it was the bridge on the Oder River. That's what they had to cross. If they were going to, if they were going to make their way to Hanover and where they would be safe with the Americans and the British mm -hmm. and escape the Russians... 
they had to make it across the bridge on the Oder River. And if that bridge were blown up, which they were trying to do, bombing runs while they're running across the bridge and tanks going across the bridge with refugees, you're screwed. That bridge is the difference between Russians, you know, raping and killing everyone in the family and Americans and the English saying, yeah. welcome to the promised land. Um, you we know, don't so think Brit- about that. We don't think about it so much anymore. No. Yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, so the bridge at Remagen is uh, is a really fun, old fashioned uh, World War Tour. I mean, you know, everybody involved in this is just they're of that certain generation. 1969, John Gillerman before he ruined his career making the remake of uh, King Kong for Dino De Laurentiis. David Wolper, who was sort of the mega producer of the era, yeah. uh, Elmer Bernstein, who'd been you know scoring things since the since the uh, Ten Commandments in 1956. He is at his peak here. This is a big, muscular, beautiful score, uh, and uh, you know you get the isolated music track for that score, which is fantastic. This is a wonderful movie. I love this movie, and I am also very fond of the 1954 Hell and High Water, also on Twilight Time uh, Blu-ray. From the 20th Century Fox Library, uh, this is a darker film. This is a Samuel Fuller movie with Richard Widmark uh, kind of channeling all of Samuel Fuller's darkest instincts. And uh, this is, you know, this is a submarine. Richard Widmark is moving a sub- a, a, a nuclear submarine headed for the Arctic, where they uh, there it's there's going to be you know trying to forestall yeah. nuclear war with the Russians. And uh, it's it's you know it's the it's the, the the early Cold War period right after World War II and you know nuclear anxiety is at a pick uh, a fever pitch. Uh, this is a really really interesting movie, very very sharp, based on a book and uh, directed like mad by Samuel Fuller. Uh, Richard Widmark, of course, just brings the intensity like nobody's business. And then the last Twilight Time title here is a double feature, and I cannot be more happy that this is out. This, I hope, is a harbinger of things to come because there are a lot of Jackie Chan movies that need to come out. Uh, This in the original Cantonese is a double feature of Jackie Chan's Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Mm. the original Drunken Master. Mm. Uh, The transfers are as good as you could hope. These are Jackie Chan's first two starring roles from 1978. And uh, it is, they are certainly films of the era, but you see the kung fu comedy that he will pioneer is, yeah. is being formed here. Uh, in terms of you know, Jackie Chan's career, this is where it begins. These are formative films. They are crucial films. And uh, it's, it's, it, I mean, I'm just thrilled that these are on Blu-ray because I never thought I'd get these. So I'm hoping that you know, a lot of the other missing Jackie Chan films that are not on Blu-ray, like Drunken Master 2, will eventually make it out. Uh, this has uh, a, a commentary by Rick Myers and Jeff Yang, which I'm a little mixed on because Rick Myers has done like 170 commentaries for martial arts films, and I'm a little sick of Rick Myers. I have a certain degree of respect for him, mm. but he keeps saying the same things over and over, and about a third of the things that he says are wrong. <laughs> so uh, as people may or may not know, I, you know I've, I've, I wrote a book on Jackie Chan, um, which you can now get for like 97 cents on Amazon. And uh, I don't see a penny of it, but uh, you know, these also both directed by Yun Wu Ping yeah. in his in his early early days. So, so. That, that that's back when uh, you know the sort of comparisons between Buster Keaton, yeah. and the sort of you know the post Bruce Lee yes. sort of era. Yes, and, and everyone's it's when it's when he was making his pitch to fill the void uh, left with Bruce, with Bruce's death. The Hong Kong films didn't necessarily need to be extremely sort of uh, well violent for violence' sake. There's an element of comedy that he could yes. insert into all of that. Uh, over here, real quick. Uh, yeah. uh, from Mill Creek, uh, the um, the four movie Salma Hayek collection. This is very interesting. 
uh, particularly as, as I think about Selma Hayek, and because th this, this reminds me of how long I've been watching Selma Hayek <laughs> now, and who is still fantastic. Recently saw Beatrice at Dinner, a current film that she happens to be in, her uh -huh. and John Lithgow and all that kind of... So we hear from 1998, we have The, the, the Velocity of Gary, which of course gave us Thomas Jane, uh, as the oh, movie started, uh, yeah. Thomas Jane played Gary Forgot in that movie. That. So that's that's twenty years ago, right yeah. there. Uh, um, and then from from two thousand, we have Time Code, which was a highly experimental film at the time. Uh, Mike Figgis, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, uh, sort of star study thing. Saffron Bear, a whole bunch he, of people. That, in that was movie. It, that was what he spent his capital from uh, leaving Las from Vegas. Leaving on. Las Vegas, that yeah. Oscar, and and I thought it was a truly interesting film, at least in terms of that technology. Again, remember this is 2000. This is 17 years ago. Yeah, uh, and he's and he's working uh, in in video. Uh, and he's moving us around uh, the, the, the screen uh, where he has at least four, sometimes six yep. things. And the way he's directing your attention is through the use of audio by raising the audio on the frame that he wants you to pay attention to at that moment while leaving the other things up on the screen. It's this whole sort of interdacing sort of Hollywood mm -hmm. story going on. Then we have um, uh, Lonely Hearts, which of course is John Travolta and James Gambolfini uh, from about uh, the middle 2000s sometimes. And then another one, another really early Span Spanish language film. Um, from Selma, uh, called Living It Up. Uh, so you know, uh, neat, 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 a neat little collection of the history of Selma Hayek there, uh, and some of her better ones. Interesting that none of them involve Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> we always associate with yeah, Selma Hayek. Yeah, true. We think about yeah. it. Hit to hit, eight action films. Hit to hit. Steven Seagal and Jean Claude Van Damme. Um, look. Um, I've, I've poked fun at both Steven uh, and Jean-Claude over the years. But the fact of the matter is I'm, I'm kind of a fan of both of these guys and certainly have been a huge fan of both of these guys at various different times in their career. Uh, this eight-film collection involves some of the films that I really, you know, it involves uh, uh, Maximum Risk, which is a sort of mid-career Jean-Claude Van Damme film that I liked a lot. You know, I mean, we can yeah. go all the way back to Cyborg and all that kind of stuff with him, but I like that a lot, uh, that movie. Uh, Knock Off, of course, which was an early Von, uh, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme film, uh, and then you have you have stuff like Into the Sun with uh, Steven Seagal and uh, Universal Soldier: The Return, which is not as good as Universal Soldier, but whatever. Second in Command, uh, Hard Corpse, Double Team, which of course uh, is uh, Jean Claude and. Um, uh, Dennis Rodman, yep. uh, if I'm not mistaken, who, yes, yeah. recall that when he was, wasn't an international, <laughs> whatever the hell he's doing now, uh, yeah. uh, and he wasn't beating people up for the Detroit Pistons, uh, he was kind of a Making bad, movies. bad, bad, yeah. bad movie star. And then, uh, lastly, um, a three classics from Stephen King, The Stand, The Langoliers, and The Golden Years, all of which were television films. Yep. Uh, uh, and, you know, to one extent or another, fairly interesting. But if you're a fan of, um, of Stephen King uh, books or films, you definitely want to want to grab this. So from, uh, from um, 1991, The Golden Years, from 1995, The Langoliers, and from 1994, uh, The Stand. All right, we are going to have to let the documentaries roll until another time. I'm going to wrap out with the, uh, the latest Kino releases, and an unbelievable set of great Blu-rays from Kino have arrived. And uh, if you're saving your bucks for some Blu-rays, you, you're going to want to add a whole bunch of these. Uh, Gene Kelly and Natalie Wood in Marjorie Morningstar. Here's why I love Marjorie Morningstar. Gene Kelly and Natalie Wood. Yeah. That's really it. Yeah. I, I, I love them both so much. I uh, otherwise really just don't even care how much of a, of a you know, a kind of a, a silly backstage 
the schmaltzy melodrama this is. I really don't care. I absolutely love this. It's based on a Herman Wouk novel, and Herman Wouk, of course, wrote, you know, The Winds of War yeah, and all yeah. that. The, the big sort of, yeah. The, yeah, it's just, it's it's all big soapy soap opera cast against, you know, backdrop of war and other things. But Herman Wouk basically just wrote schmaltz. He's, yeah. he's uh, you know, uh, he's just, he's a he's a he's a, a, an airport novelist yeah. who made good. So th- that shouldn't really mean a whole lot here. However, it is just watching these two actors is just absolutely wonderful. It's just wonderful, and yeah, there's not a whole lot to it, uh, but it, it, you know, it's just it's ter- it's terrific. For, for, for whatever reason, Gene and Fred Astaire, and actually, I do know the reason, were the two actors who it never bugged me watching them play against yeah. younger female leads. You know, significantly younger yes. female leads, like oh, yeah. thirty years younger female <laughs> yeah. leads sometimes, which bugs me today. But it never bugged me about them, and it still doesn't. For yeah. one thing, they were both so wonderfully fit. Yeah, and youthful. They both acknowledged in all of those films the age difference. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't like they were pretending that that, True. that they, even even if the film was said, they acknowledged it. They yeah. like, oh, so I don't know. There's something about that. They did it correctly back then. They don't do it that way anymore. And Roland Emmerich, when he was, you know, Roland Emmerich always wanted to direct Hollywood movies. This is a guy who was making, he's, you know, he's German, he's growing up in Germany, he's making movies in Germany, but he's not doing German movies. He's not yeah. trying to make serious movies. He's not doing, uh, you know, what you're expected to do in Germany. He's making just really gnarly science fiction genre movies. Yeah. And he's making them in English because he's saying, please, Take Hollywood, me. Hollywood, please take me. And when he made uh, Making Contact, he said, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Poltergeist and then I'm going to take all of those Twilight Zone evil ventriloquist dummy episodes <laughs> and then I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to take The Exorcist and I'm going to mash them all together in a big genre. That way, if they want anybody to direct any of those kinds of films, I'm their man. <laughs> they, they will know. Yeah. They will know. I'm their man. I can do it all. And so that's what Making Contact is. It's like Poltergeist meets, uh, you know, uh, all the ventriloquist dummy stuff. It's just meets Chucky, meets, you know, whatever. It's just all here. Yeah. It's Carrie crossed with, you know, it, all of that stuff. So it's a great big Hollywood uh, potpourri and a big homage to all that genre stuff. And it's actually a lot of fun. It's better than a lot of his American Hollywood stuff. Yeah, Dean Devlin's not there. Though. No, that's true. He's <laughs> so, not. Yeah. So uh, this is a lot of fun, and it's only 79 minutes. You can do this while you're fixing dinner. Just throw it up and, and watch it. It's great. Kirk Douglas, the Indian fighter. Um, this is an Andre de Toth Western, also starring Walter Matthau from 1955, with Kirk Douglas. Beautiful color cinematography, by the yeah. way. Really nice. Uh, with Kirk Douglas as a guy who used to kill engines, yeah. but now he's got to prevent them from killing the wagon train Pioneers, and he's got to be a peacemaker. So uh, it's a you know very, a, very early sort of at the very beginning of that revisionist yes sort of very early on which is sort of culminated in the early seventies with which, big which, big little man yeah you know yeah little big man little yeah. big man we, we, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Kirk Douglas is that guy yeah Spartacus yeah paths of glory yeah. right he's that guy he's very much a, a revisionist in terms of all of these genres. And, Which, and, of course, has to do with the fact that, in fact, he's just this little yeah. Jewish guy who, you know, was <laughs> yeah. fighting against, you know, the system his entire life. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, but that's also Andre de Toth. Andre de Toth, yes. who, you know, is, is one of the, the famous bad boys of, uh, of Westerns and, and filmmaking with the eye patch and yeah. the whole thing, right? I mean, so, you, you know, he's, Andre de Toth is a little bit like Samuel Fuller with, uh, with a little more self-control. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or Peckinpah, not drunk. Yeah. That's Andre de Toth. So, uh, yeah, this is a good film. This is a really good film. Uh, Alan Hale is in here. Lon Chaney is in this. Uh, it's a really interesting cast. And uh, Walter Matthau in a, in a definitely a minor part, but he, he kills Walter it. Matthau. He kills it. 
and uh, Sheriff Hootclute from the ongoing uh, Kino releases of the Depati Freeling collection. Uh, you know, all of these kind of look like Pink Panther cartoons, mm -hmm. as they would. And so they're sort of, you know, it's the same, same mindset, sort of the same artwork. And uh, I have not seen most of these shorts. I wasn't even familiar with a lot of them. But they have the same sensibilities as all the, you know, the, the Inspector Clouseau shorts and all that. So uh, if, if you like those, it's, 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 it's fun enough. The shoe must go on is actually very, very funny. Uh, as the tumbleweed turns, is got a little snicker out of me. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, uh, there's a couple others that are really, really funny. So, um, you know, that's, uh, those, those were aired originally in the early 1970s. And then here's how we're going out today. Bob Hope movies ah. and Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movies have been in short supply on Blu-ray, oh. but no longer. Kino is getting them out there. And we all, all that stuff that's been public domain for the longest time, released by Universal and other people over and over and over, finally we are getting them in proper Blu-ray releases, and they all look really, really good. Uh, source materials aren't perfect on all of them, but uh, you know Bob Hope is so much funnier when the resolution is good, and you can see all the twitches in the face and the eyes and the eye movements and the, you know, there's so much. It's just when the when the crispness is there, it's funnier. Um, and we have the first one is the Lemon Drop Kid, which I have always loved. Okay. Uh, Lemon Drop Kid is just really, really, really funny. Uh, just classic, classic comedy from 1951. Um, co-written by Frank Tashlin, who would, of course, go on to direct a lot of really, really great uh, Jerry Lewis movies. Um, it, it, this, is, this is really, really fun, and uh, based on material originally by Damon Runyon. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite good. Um, quite good. So, uh, you know, it, again, it gets into the racetrack stuff, yeah. and Bob Hope, uh, you know, chews the scenery the same way that, uh, that Jerry Lewis does and the same way the Marx Brothers did, but it's great. Uh, my favorite brunette with Dorothy L'Amour. Oh, we man. love Dorothy L'Amour. We loved him some Dorothy L'Amour. And speaking of Lon Chaney, he and Peter Lorre show up in this, uh, bringing the, the creep factor that they, uh, they brought to uh, so many other great horror films. Uh, my favorite, you know, Dorothy L'Amour was just such a one, she just had such classic, it's not, she's not even a conventional beauty. Yeah. She was, and I hate to say exotic, because that word tends to now yeah. take on like racial overtones now, which it shouldn't, but she really was an exotic beauty at the yeah, time. Yeah, dark and with she, those eyes. Those and, eyes, yeah. it was just, she was unconventional, unconventionally beautiful by Hollywood standards, and... Particularly uh, the Hollywood of the day, which the blonde, the buxom the blonde bombshell yeah. is the thing at the moment. She yeah. didn't have that, and and it, it she uses it to her advantage. Uh, it's terrific. You know, there's a there's a whole plot here with a uh, you know a hired hitman, and uh, it's sort it's sort of tr it, it's based on a uh, on a kind of a noir structure, but it doesn't matter. It's just Bob Hope doing his doing his thing. Uh, and then we add Bing Crosby to the Bob Hope and Dorothy Lamour tandem in the Road to Rio, which is one of my favorite road movies. Just because it's great, Norman Z. McLeod directed this. Uh, it, it, it's it's just all that road stuff. The Andrews sisters are in this as well. Uh, it's just a, an awful lot of fun. That trio has never ever ever gotten old. They are yeah. so 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 funny and so wonderful. And you know, did they go to Rio? No, no. They, they, it's, <laughs> they they went to they went to a back lot and they dressed it up to look like yeah. Rio. But you put uh, enough fruit in a basket on somebody's head, you're in yeah. Rio. And they also didn't go to Bali, but the road, <laughs> no, to Bali, the road to Bali, the road to Bali is also an awful lot of fun. Uh, the the road to Bali actually has some of the 
I think The Road to Rio is a better overall movie, but I think The Road to Bali has funnier individual moments. Mm. There are moments in Road to Bali which are just completely off the wall. They're just bizarre. They're crazy. They're wacky. They're nutty. They're just insane. And they're hysterical. Uh, I mean, the gorilla stuff is just, it's beyond classic. Uh, it's really a lot of fun. So that also is here. And um, the uh, both of these... Uh, you should you should have Road to Rio and Road to Bali, but Road to Bali has some great commentary on it. The uh, it has a Bob Hope promo, and then it has a commentary by Mark Evanier and my friend Michael Schlesinger, ah. who is absolutely uh, the bomb on this. Just does a great job. Schlesinger is you know a a, a, a an ace expert of this period and this genre and everything else. Uh, you know, used to be a repertory uh, uh, distributor, so he knows the he knows the whole scene, and he's just he, he he brings so much knowledge and intensity to it. So it's great, so wonderful. So those four, add those to your Bob Hope collection on Blu-ray, and expect plenty more. Road to Bali, Road to Rio, my favorite brunette, and the Lemon Drop Kid. Tim, thank you. My pleasure. This is uh, so. Uh, Mark uh, will hopefully. Uh, What's he doing? Watching baseball? Nah, he's, he's doing. You know, going to some Mets games or something. Yeah, I don't some, know. Okay, Whatever okay. he's doing. Yeah. So uh, yes, Mark's in New York. We're gonna. We're wishing everybody, and absolutely everybody in the United States, at least, a, a very happy Fourth of July holiday. Have a great time. Enjoy the fireworks. Everybody overseas, enjoy not having a holiday, yeah. but just make the best of it. And uh, I will be off to uh, Jordan. I'll try to uh, do some. I don't know what the internet connection is gonna be like, but if I have opportunity, I will post some things to the uh, the Facebook group and. Uh, I will see everybody when I'm back. So sometime around the end of July, we will have another show. Until then, see you all. Mm -hmm.